2: visit worldafropedia.com the african-centered encyclopedia a global database of african knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global african wisdom and understanding
3: worldafropedia.com Agent ashburn tonight wait until you hear this a couple left a local mexican restaurant without tipping their waitress even after complimenting her service and then they left behind a racist message on the receipt. As Mike carter Canine reports, those two customers are not getting the last word. Great service,
4: but I don't tip black people.
5: That was the note scrawled on the bottom of a bill at Anita's Mexican restaurant in Ashburn on Saturday morning. Shocker. Kelly Carter says it was left with no gratuity by a 20-something white man and woman to whom she had served breakfast.
6: I'm appalled. This is uh, so disheartening.
5: Her boss says Carter is a loyal employee and beloved by her customers.
6: Her philosophy for customer service is way beyond the norm and uh, we're really happy to have her.
5: Carter says they were like any other customers, acted no differently, no indication they were unhappy with her for any reason. She says the female customer even complimented the food.
4: And the lady was telling me that she loves the Papa meal.
5: Carter did not ask for all this attention. It was two of her regular customers, outraged by the incident, who posted the photo on Facebook. And in one day, it's been shared nearly 900 times. The local chapter of the NAACP is also spreading the word. Hearing about the incident, the restaurant's owner says customers are now requesting Carter as their server, or just stopping by to give her hugs and give her money. People are just coming in, dropping cash off. Despite the hateful message, Carter still showed up for her shift Sunday at 6 a.m., and she makes clear she's not going to let this bother her.
4: He didn't hurt me. He only hurted himself. He only makes us stronger.
5: In fact, she says if those customers were to come back, she would even serve them again.
4: Just me serving
2: them will let them know they did not get the best of me.
5: In Ashburn, Mike Carter-Keneen, ABC 7 News.
7: Another one of the big things, and again, two-faced racism whites in the backstage and front stage two thumbs up from gusty renegade excellent excellent book um, another thing that jumped out at me um, you talked about <clears throat> excuse me uh, these elaborate codes that white people refine and produce to talk about racism uh, both backstage and front stage when they are even around other non-white people so that they can talk about racism unbeknownst to the non-white people that are present. Uh, And you talked about how this is especially developed uh, in restaurant settings. I know I have a lot of non-white people. They, They work in the restaurant industry. Uh, Can you talk about some of these elaborate codes uh, that have been developed, what the purpose for these codes is and how they operate, particularly in restaurant settings?
8: Yes. uh, Leslie Pickup, my co-author on the book, has worked as a uh, waitress in many restaurants as a white young white female. And she's, watched many of her colleagues use this kind of code language. Uh, that seems to be part of the colorblind era that we're in, where most whites want to be seen in positive terms and as virtuous. Unlike probably their parents and grandparents, many of them who were openly racist, in public at least, in life today, want to be seen as colorblind and not racist. They know being racist is a bad thing. So they go into these code languages and restaurant workers, waiters, waitresses, hostess, hosts and hostesses uh, often use language like, well, the Canadians are coming, which means black, Clients or customers, or uh, they'll use this kind of code language to kind of disguise what they're really thinking. Again, like somewhat like the joking, know, you you try to legitimate racist commentaries by putting it in other language or in another kind of framework. Uh, by using that kind of terminology as, well there's it, too many it's getting awfully dark in here, which means there are too many black customers in a certain section, or uh, you'll yell back to the cook that uh, you know uh, don't be in a hurry to fix the meal for the Canadians
9: <laughs> mm-hmm.
8: uh, and if somebody over here you know you. You use the code word because if somebody overhears, overhears you and doesn't know what the code word's mean, they'll think you're just silly. Uh, when in fact, it's a kind of racist communication in that kind of a setting. It's, I think it's another indicator of this kind of colorblind era where many if not most whites still want to practice a kind of open blatant racism still want to think in those terms but need to disguise it because of the kind of color line veneer that's put on the society right now and also because they now know they will get more resistance from black folks and other people of color. You know, you see in some of the diaries when a a white kid is caught using the N-word because there's a black person nearby. And they get very defensive, almost feeling like they're going to be retaliated against. So that's one reason for the code word. Is because I know more people will speak up these days than maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago. But yeah. I think it's probably somewhat like the joke here. You know, it's a, a kind of cover up of real feelings and real meanings.
10: Business is booming in downtown Detroit, but one popular bistro is closing its doors. The owner says they're being forced out because they're black. As Fox News' Amy Lang explains, there is a racial battle brewing at the heart of Detroit's rebirth.
2: It's very painful because, you know, we were... Just trying to do good business, and we want to make things nice for the people for Detroit.
3: Marilyn Hall had big dreams for her restaurant, sunk her life savings into this place, leased the space. In November 2013, she and her son, Gerald Watson, opened Mo' Better Blues on Adams in Detroit. But she says new building owners came in, and now Mo' Better... Is out.
6: They allowed us to build this place out, spent over a quarter of a million dollars in it, and they wanted to get us out and put somebody else in it.
3: Gerald Watson says they've been in a legal battle for months with owners Kales Grand Circus Park. Everything from rent payments to building conditions. An attorney for Kales did not return our calls for comment. But Watson says he believes he and other black business owners are being forced out of this new Detroit.
6: I think it's racism. We feel they don't want blacks downtown.
3: Just last week, the Detroit News published a story about black owned businesses. Is evicted from the Himalhawk building after leasing there for 30 years. And Darnell Smalls, the owner of the Tangerine Room next to Atwater Brewery, says he's being forced out as well by building owner Rivertown Holdings.
1: He wants the space back to be a part of, I guess, the revival, you know, which I'm sure everybody wants to be a part of, but he's trying to just come up with a reason to, you know, kick me out.
3: An attorney for Rivertown points to a judge's ruling that Smalls demolished part of the inside of the building leading to his eviction. Small says he's still fighting and will be back in court Thursday.
1: I think in my case, particularly, uh, he always wanted the space back.
3: After all, it's all about the space.
11: You think that's a shame, but it's not wrong, and it's not discrimination, and it's not anything evil.
3: Scott Griffin with Griffin Properties and Restaurant Group says Detroit's rebirth means landlords can now charge double what they did just two years ago.
11: But you can't blame that on the landlords who are buying these buildings at significantly increased prices now and who are trying to do the best thing they can for that building for their investors.
3: But civil rights activist Reverend Horace Sheffield says other activists are organizing a boycott called No Blacks Downtown to discourage blacks from coming where it's perceived they're not wanted.
12: This
13: town's gone through an awful lot to get where we are and it needs to be uh, shared space and something that appreciates folks who never left with the same value as those who are just coming back.
3: Sheffield says he's meeting with business leaders and reaching out to property owners hoping to bridge this divide.
13: do better with this resurgence than we've done in the past. We've got one opportunity to get it right, and let's get everybody together
3: and make it happen. In Detroit, Amy Lang, Fox 2 News.
11: Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, January 12th. 2017, so I have been told. Uh, This is our weekly broadcast on workplace racism. Uh, Folks have commentary they would like to share. Uh, We'll be looking forward to hearing folks dial in. I'm having some uh, odd audio (laughs) interference. That is uh, pretty strange. Give me one second. I'm going to disconnect my line and see if I can correct the audio echo, I will uh, give myself a commercial and uh, just dial right back in. One second, context of white supremacy.
6: See, so when black people say, well, I'm not going to be involved in no blackness and all like that. This
14: service is
10: provided... incorrect access code please re-enter your access code followed by the pound please re-enter your access code followed by the pound you exceeded number of attempts please contact customer service if you need assistance goodbye This service is provided in high definition by free call hd.com. Please enter your access code followed by the pound. This menu will repeat. Please enter your access code followed by the pound. Access code accepted. This conference is being recorded. Q&A session started about Tyrus Wong. I want to reference a quote that...
11: All righty. Got the audio problem corrected. That was extra super special strange. Uh, It was reverberating uh, on multiple speakers for some odd reason. This was a challenging day on multiple fronts um, for a variety of reasons, which it tends to be on the plantation. But Today was a day plantation delivered lots of ugliness and we were able to resolve things without too much uh, bother and without too much stress. We're still able to get uh, a few jokes in and uh, even had a, a kind word for Chantel. I think she should be chiming in to uh, discuss workplace racism as well. That's it. Again, this is workplace racism every Thursday. That is one thing I wanted to say from the beginning, Uh, doing a better job, of listening. I think that's something that we all Gus T. Renegade. You can put my name at the top of the list. We need to do a better job of listening. I've noted that that uh, and that is real important when it comes to dealing with racists, when you're dealing with someone who uh, has a tendency to be dishonest, you really want to make sure that you are paying very close attention to what they are saying, what they are doing. Uh, So let's, you know, all let's make sure we're working on paying attention. One example of that is I have quite a few people. If it was just one person, I would say, okay, well maybe it's not a big deal, but since multiple people, there seems to be confusion about when the workplace racism program is. And I say that at the beginning, beginning of every program, I can only conclude that people are not doing a good job of listening. If they're not listening from the very beginning or they got other things going on, because this program is on every Thursday. It's been on every Thursday for over seven months now. Every Thursday, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, workplace racism. Tune in if you have commentary experiences, uh, if you have problems, certainly if you have figured out some things that are successful for you. Uh, with regards to neutralizing uh, attempted acts of racism on the job. Uh, tune in, uh, give us a ring, the number six four one seven one five three six four zero, And the code is five six four 943 pounds Press star six if you would like to participate. That number again, 641-715-3640, decode 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Quick things I will get in. We had folks who wrote in, uh, quite a few folks. I think a lot of people, the uh, quote-unquote holiday is over. So I think for a lot of people, they have been back on the J-O-B for four weeks. So now more people have things to share for workplace racism. But before I get to that, uh, Neely Fuller, Jr., I've played a lot of uh, his clips. I would say he is one of the people, for as big a problem that I say this is, workplace racism, regardless whether you, quote-unquote, are self-employed or not, that this is a big issue. He's one of the few people uh, that I hear when they talk about racism publicly publicly who will consistently regularly talk about racism white supremacy within the context of the workplace, which is super important since so many so many of us spend so many hours there on a weekly basis, and that has you know such a huge critical impact on our quality of life? Uh, I was speaking with a victim of racism yesterday who will be on the program next week talking about uh, housing situation, which is also super important, but Uh, We called Mr. Fuller, and he was giving some suggestions uh, to this victim, and even though we were talking about a housing situation, he was talking about the importance of not getting emotional, being able to stay calm. Uh, That racist, one of their tactics that they will try to use, particularly with black people, is to just, I'm going to get them upset. I'm going to get them riled up. I'm going to insult them and be discourteous and be rude. I might even call them a nigger. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get them riled up. And then when they flip out and start cursing and all that, or they might even, the black person might get upset enough that they become violent, then we can do whatever we want to. We can form like Voltron. We can call in enforcement officers. Uh, We can call in the boss to get you fired. If this is in the context of the job, he was saying, really make sure that you stay calm. And he kept emphasizing, this is going to be used on the jobs a lot. It already has been. And in his view, he felt it was going to be done increasingly. So having whites on the job, just saying things, doing things just to get you angry. Like they know uh, that you're having financial problems or you've been having difficulties at home or maybe you just had a divorce or anything. They know you're having difficulties. We're going to really probably going to pluck that niggas nerves and then we'll be able to fire him or whatever we want to do. So really got to make that an essential part of your counter-racist code. He emphasized that a lot and just <laughs> uh, he stopped on a dime for a random black person to try to offer as as much constructive advice as he could in my view. Another stellar illustration of black self-respect. Moving forward. Uh, a couple quick things as I said uh, before I get to some of the folks who wrote in. That was one. Uh, the second thing you heard at the beginning, I think a lot of folks heard about the situation where the racists came in and uh, left that they don't tip, which uh, is I mean at minimum ironic because the racist running racist idea is that niggers don't tip right. They say that all the time. Uh, so they didn't have them come in in reverse. I thought of that in multiple facets. Number one, I'm sure this is this is a widespread phenomenon. I'm sure these are not the only whites who you know that's their code. They don't tip niggers uh, who are serving them. So just the imp- economic implications of that for black waiters waitresses uh, if. You have lots of racists who do not tip or do not adequately tip their servers. That was one. Two, within the the video that I played specifically where they had that on the news, they they had multiple images where they kept going back and showing the same tubby racist woman coming to hug this victim at the restaurant. Like, oh, we just love you so much. They, they showed it once, and then they had to come back and show it again uh, at the end of the video to just make sure that we really emphasize that, hey, we don't want you to think that this is representative of all of us. We don't want you to think we're all races. We have tons of, you know, good, well-meaning whites who would be glad to come out and hug a negro or two on camera. That was Dr. Joe Feegan in the middle. He was on the program in 2010. We talked about his book, Uh, two-faced racism uh, which does have a lot of constructive information because it gives a lot of explicit detail directly from whites about what they talk about when non-white people are not present. He calls that being in the backstage. And he also, that segment that you heard, he has a big chunk of the book is on racist jokes. We talked about that but he also has a big chunk of the book that is on uh, racism in the food service industry and how elaborate the codes are that whites have for how they're going to practice racism in that sort of environment. I think that is extremely important information uh, related to what we heard and then the the end piece it's important because i hear so frequently even from people on this program the notion that if you if we black people if we become entrepreneurs open our own businesses that that will defeat racism in the workplace everyone who believes that is incorrect i rarely make that sort of you know direct statement it is what it is either i'm correct or i'm incorrect you being a black person, self-employed, on the plantation is not, is not going to solve your problem with racism. As you heard from the end clip, I'm sure there were people saying from the very beginning, forget that. Why even be a waitress? We should open our own restaurants and open out. Fine, you can do that. That's not going to solve your problem with workplace racism. Now, we'll get to some of the things that folks wrote in, uh, and then we'll get to folks who actually dialed in. Uh, first person that wrote in, I just wanted to add my two cents about discussing racism and or politics in the work, in the workplace. Such discussions, especially with white coworkers, should be avoided at all costs. I could not agree more. Absolutely no good can come of it. <laughs> this was written in all caps, bold face print. Last year, I grew so tired of my boss's political tirades that I encouraged him to read Dog Whistle Politics by Ian Honey Lopez. He's been a guest on the program. I did so because he was always pestering me to read books from his book list, uh, Conservative Political Propaganda, if you ask me. So I thought he should read something from my book list. I wanted him to understand my position, namely that all politicians whether Democrat or Republican lie and use coded language to appeal to their base. I thought if he understood my position, he would understand that I didn't care to hear any political talk and would therefore not attempt to engage me in political discussions. I was dead wrong. He read the book and started inviting me to lunch to discuss it. Cringe. (laughs) I dodged lunch for months. After about seven months, I did have lunch with him off-site at a nearby restaurant. For the most part, lunch was pleasant, as we were just playing catch-up because he had retired from the company by that time. He indicated that he found the book interesting, but then he began to deny that Republicans use coded language and said that they weren't racists, of course. Then... Wouldn't you know it, he gave me two books that he wanted me to read. I placed those books in the backseat of my car and haven't looked at them again. That was last year, around July 2016. Well, even though he's retired, he still comes to the work site to use the gym or eat lunch with some of his old cronies. From time to time, he'll ask me if I had had the chance to read the books he gave me, to which I reply that I haven't. About a week ago, I saw him seated in the lunchroom. Suddenly, one of the gentlemen that usually sits with him came up to me and asked me if I'd like to discuss cultural issues. I emphatically told him no, because no good can come of it, and that all people want to do is talk and not actively change anything. It's kind of funny, I no longer work with this man, but he's still able to directly and indirectly harass me moral of the story and all of this is in bold face print and underline discussions about racism and politics have no place on the job site don't pussyfoot around be direct decisive and resolute about letting your coworkers know that you won't discuss racism and politics in the workplace because absolutely no good can come of it hmm. next up Oh, this is from our young scholar uh, in the Bay Area. He's called in uh, many, many times. I think last Saturday on the compensatory call-in most recently. He says, in my history class, we were learning about the Haitian Revolution. I've learned that slavery in Saint-Domingue, where the French took over, the island later to be known as Haiti, slavery occurred and was probably about as cruel as slavery in the United States. There were some leaders that helped make the revolution happen in the first place. I also found it interesting how they classified the Afro- French Frenchies of the island, which were the free mulatto people. Cowbell. The French referred these people with that name as an insult because they did not like the fact that they live like them, the most sophisticated. I also feel like the Haitian Revolution gave Haiti independence from those who have oppressed the island and citizens living there. All he wanted to share. Always good to hear from him. See if I can get in one more. Oh, okay. I'll get in this one and then I'll get the other one in as we proceed. If you are listening to the live broadcast and you would like to email commentary in, you can't call in for whatever reason, you can email your commentary to at dot gmail.com And I can read it on the air anonymously. And if people want to respond, reply to what you have to say, we can get it in. All right, so next up, Uh, my name is Keith. I work as an electrician on a job site in the Bronx, and every day when I go use the bathroom, which is a porter potty, I have to see racist graffiti. These are the same restrooms that all of the bosses use, and not once has this come up in a meeting or even a discussion. I would like to call into the show this evening, but I don't know what time it goes live. Right now, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, same time, same time, every week, 8 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific, same time, every Thursday. Uh, He has illustrations uh, so that you can see exactly what people have written uh, in the restroom area. Lots of things uh, returning with, uh, with Trump. One of them says red, white, blue will be great again. Trump, 16. Uh, that's important. I've read that passage before. Dr. Welsing talks about the significance of that color scheme, red, white, and blue in the ISIS papers. Dr. Kamal Kamban talked about it as well. Uh, that's kind of like the white supremacist color scheme. Uh, he has uh, some of them. It just has swastikas. Let's see. He has another one that says no smoking, uh, and it looks like some sort of uh, picture of a, of a black person. One of those racist caricatures with KKK written next to it, a swastika, Trump. If you want to see all of the uh, racist artwork, I could, I guess, forward it to you. But he took quite a few pictures. And that might even be something to bring up uh, in a meeting. Like, is this appropriate? Because, I mean, I would, I suspect this would be the type of uh, porter potty that every, like does not have public access, right? I assume that you all just don't have random people coming through and using this. So if this is restricted to a small number of people who are using uh, this facility, this might probably got to be some of the people that we're working with. Is this acceptable for the workplace? Just a question, questions, questions. that could be asked. I'll stop there. The number again is six four one seven one five three six. Four zero, and the code is 564-943-POUND four, four, press star 6 if you would like to participate uh, folks who dialed in who have a hand up the line should be open uh, and I will just make sure I get in my encouragement again uh, this is not a program for spectators this is not a program to just listen in weekly basis Oh, man, I want to hear what wacky things they're talking about this week. If you are a black person and you have work experience, you can reflect on your work experience. It can be current. It can be a job that you had five years ago, ten years ago. You can share, uh, if you recall, experiences where racism was a problem for you. And you can think about it in terms of, this was when I was more confused. This is what happened then. This is what I would do now, almost akin to what the person who wrote in about when they were more confused and were trying to give out or suggest literature to their racist coworkers. Now they have learned better understanding of how they would function. That is very important because we do have younger listeners who don't have an extensive work history. And even if you do have an extensive work history, I think it is very constructive to be able to see those patterns uh, and where you're just seeing repetition of behavior where they do the same Types of things worldwide doesn't matter how old they are, they pick up the same racist antics. Very, very helpful. Really encourage folks to dial in to share. and if you figured out some things that work well, you should be on speed dog because we need that immediately. Folks who dialed in uh, who have a hand up, line should be open, feel free.
15: Matt here?
11: Yes, ma'am.
9: Uh, evening to all the callers on the line, uh, this is Kendra. Um, I would just like to share a workplace situation uh, that has um, been a bit upsetting, to say the least, um, so I'll, I'll just kind of get right into it. Uh, so, about um, six years ago, the company I currently work for um, had a mentorship program where they peered up individuals um, that they identified as uh, future leaders within the company um, with individuals that were in leadership positions, so uh, I was paired up with a non-white black male that became my mentor. Uh, We formed a really cohesive relationship where I learned a lot from him. Uh, The company ended up uh, being bought out by a large holding company, so about a year um, after the buyout, the company decided that uh, they were going to scale back on the number of district managers that they had in the sales department. One of the positions uh, that they eliminated was my mentor's position. Uh, He was placed in a a sales position instead of uh, actually being the the district manager of of the sales department. Um, He did sales for a little while, but I guess uh, was not performing the way the company envisioned. So they bumped him uh, into a position called uh, category uh, management. Um, I would speak to him off and on, and uh, he seemed to love what he was doing. About a month and a half ago, the company decided uh, that they no longer needed the um, category management department and relocated all of the individuals that were into, in that department uh, into new roles. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been uh, six individuals, uh, four being non-white black males, and then two being – actually, I think one would be categorized as Hispanic in the system, and then one white male. So um, anyway um, – I ran into um, my mentor uh, one day at the office and asked him um, what his new role entailed. And he told me that uh, they hadn't found him a permanent position, that he was uh, just floating around from sales to delivery, uh, doing whatever they asked him to do, but that he wasn't concerned at all uh, because he had given the company 40 years uh, collectively uh, between both companies and that uh, he knew that they would take care of him. Uh, When he said that, I, I kind of paused a little bit um, that he was so confident. Uh, anyway, uh, I received a call last Thursday from one of the guys that I know that uh, work in the warehouse, um, basically saying you're not gonna uh, going to believe what they have done, you know, with your mentor. And so I asked him what, and he said uh, they made him uh, the janitor. And uh, when he said the janitor, I said, Are you are you serious? And he said, uh, Yeah. So I literally thought that the guy uh, who called me was mistaken, but later on, another individual told me the same thing. So um, this past Tuesday, while I was at the office, I ran into uh, my mentor, and he was mopping uh, the floor, and uh, he told me that uh, he wasn't planning to be at the company much longer, but uh, didn't say how long. Um, One thing that was really striking was that he would not make eye contact with me uh, during the whole 10 minutes of our conversation. Um, which kind of made me feel like he was a little bit broken. Um, He's a 58-year-old male, and he gave 40 years to the company, and in the end, um, you know, they gave him a a janitorial position. Um, They didn't do that to any of the older, you know, white people that's in his age group or a bit younger, you know, that's been with the company a shorter period of time. You know, those individuals have office positions, or a different positions, but none of them, you know, would need a mentor, I'm sorry, a janitor. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the story.
11: What a disgrace, what a disgrace. I'm sorry you had to, uh, I'm sorry you had to experience that because I mean, I'm sure um, it had to be devastating for him. Uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> you invest 40 years of your life <laughs> In a company and that's how I'm supposed to wrap up my career, not with a gold watch and a nice office and, you know, thank you for your years of service. Here's a mop. <laughs> I mean, geez, what a disgrace. I'm, I'm sorry you had to see that. I'm sorry that happened uh, to your mentor. But I mean, if folks remember, Mr. Folks, I'm getting my clips together for my Obama broadcast when President-elect Trump is inaugurated next Friday. Mr. Fuller has an audio clip from 2008 uh, when it was President-elect Obama at the time. And he said, oh, wait a minute, this is 2009. He would already been elected. But this is 2009. This is Mr. Fuller's first visit on the program. And he said, if white people decide tomorrow that President Obama is going to be janitor, that's what he will be. He will be down there buffing floors. They can send him back to Chicago and he'll be buffing floors. Uh, And they could do that in the next five minutes if they choose to very important for all of us to keep that in mind because that's that's what the system of racism white supremacy means you can end up with a mop man and might be grateful to have the mop bucket in some instances they could see to that as long as the system of white supremacy exists uh, folks have any, can any I hear you? yes ma'am we can hear you
16: oh hey um i just wanted to share some experience i've had at work um I work in retail and I'm the only black person at my job. We have a um a district manager, but she's in a tragic arrangement and I believe that she's genuinely confused about um everything. Yeah. <laughs> and um I It's kind of weird because it's like the more that I'm I'm becoming less confused as as to how racism and white supremacy works. It, the harder it is for me to go to this job every day. And it's like I deal with a bunch of, like, people that are, like, I that you blatantly know are racist, but I can't do anything about it. And it's just terrible. It's like I really don't know what to do with this situation.
11: That is the world that we live in, and I I do know for many of our listeners who, like, as you're kind of beginning to get a better understanding of racism, white supremacy, that it can be very difficult uh, making that transition on the job. I don't know if that's your exact situation, like if this is, is, is a spot where if you were there and you were not as informed when you started, and so you were doing whatever you were doing, if you were talking nicely, if you didn't think of these whites as racist, so you were just interacting with them as though they were not racist, and then you get a better understanding, You start; it starts to completely change the way you view them and, and wanting to be around them, wanting to talk to them, wanting to spend time with them. If that's your situation, that has happened to a lot uh, of victims of racism, where they've had that exact experience. Uh, I don't know how long you've been at this company. Uh, is this is this the sort of job where, even though it's frustrating, you're understanding that you're working with racists? Is this the sort of job that you would want to stay, or is this something where you didn't you weren't pleased with it anyway?
16: I'm currently getting my master's degree, so really at this point, it's just paying the bills, you know. Oh,
11: oh, okay. Well,
16: I don't have that much longer to be there, but it's just like. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I really don't have the words for it. Like, it's just, it's just frustrating on so many different levels.
11: Well, that is what the system of racism, white supremacy is designed to produce lots and lots and lots of frustration for black people. Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, the racist that you're working with, I say this all the time, you know, Mr. Fuller also, um, you can leave, But you would just be getting another job with a different set of racists. Like, that's the thing, you know, to really keep in mind. Like, you can always leave. The folks that, I mean, racists might encourage that. They might celebrate. Like, we didn't want the nigger here anyway. But the next job is just going to have a new set of racists. So the thing that he does uh, encourage is uh, us figuring out a codified way. Even if that means you're going into business yourself, fine. You're still going to have to deal with racists figuring out. I really Go ahead, go ahead. I
16: really don't talk to them much. I mean, I, I'm kind of still on your codified response of, hmm, to a lot of the things that they say. And it's like with my uh, district manager that um, that's in the tragic arrangement. She goes out and parties with them and goes drinking with them and all this, that, and the other. And I'm like, girl, how are you doing this?
11: Wow. If it's uh, if it's a short timetable that like, you know, uh, this is I'm just counting down the days until I get that master's and, you know, I'm out of here. I'm on to better things. Um, it might be something because, I mean, that that is a position that you're probably going to find yourself in for as long as you are working in whatever capacity. Uh, you know, how am I going to deal with these racists on the job, even if you own the company? How am I going to deal with these racists, you know, on the job in the company that I own? Uh, I would try to start figuring out things that you can do uh, that make it better in terms of your ability to function in that environment without being as stressed. I think that's a challenge that all of us uh, deal with. But in terms of things that you can do that would make it, yes, I'm working with racists, and I'm not quitting, at least not this week. So uh, what are things that I can do that are going to make this better for me? Uh, where I'm still safe, I know that I'm working with racists, but things that can make this a little bit better for me to be able to function uh, in this environment. Is there anything you know that you can think of that would help? I was I was even thinking projects like being able to study what's happening with this victim that's in a tragic arrangement. How that evolves over the time that you're there, in terms of what happens? Does racism come up? Is she mistreated? Like I would be thinking a little side projects that I would do where I can learn more useful information moving forward. You, and you can always. I just
16: want to watch the interaction that she has, like with other employees, mm-hmm. and even like management on top of her. And, it's like they really just talk to her any kind of way and she just takes it
11: that is the system um the other quick suggestion i was going to give if if listeners have any ideas that would be great as well uh the other quick suggestion when you're in that sort of work situation where you know it's a limited amount of time I'm going to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm relocating or this was not a permanent job. Anyway, I'm getting my master's. or I'm doing whatever I'm doing. You can use that opportunity to practice your codification for the next job in terms of these are, these are questions that I will ask. These are things that I will do. So I'll already have some OJT for my counter-racist code. You can definitely take that advantage. So when you go into the next situation, you'll already have tried out some things and you'll be able to see how they work Boom! This is how I'll say it here. When I go here, this is what I'll do here. Boom! Boom! You can always do that. Uh, Did folks that are listening in have any suggestions uh, for the caller that we just heard from, who was talking about some of her frustrations? Any Any suggestions? Can I be
5: heard?
15: Yes, ma'am. Um. The only suggestion I have, and it might not really apply because I have, um, I'm sorry, this is Jay from Ohio. Um, It might not work because I know that I worked in retail before, but I know what I have been able to do with my job. So that way I'm not just bogged down with all the different stuff that racists like to talk about or suspected white supremacists like to talk about on my job. I, I do listen to a lot of podcasts or music. Um, I always try to make sure, even if I don't have that, um, if I do have like some spare time where it might be taken as, oh, well, I, I can be engaged in my like, conversation. I'll try to have a book, so I'll try to always make sure that I at least appear to be busy. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't know if that might work for you, but I know that that has definitely helped me at least to where I'm not. Like, my my mind is not so idle, and I'm focusing on just stuff that they're saying that it's not going to help me be um, constructive.
16: Thank you. Um, By the way, I'm Ashley in Louisiana. Um, Now, what I do do, like, when I'm doing inventory on the floor or something, I will have, like, some headphones, and I will be listening to um, a podcast or something just so my mind won't be so idle and I don't have to hear the ignorant things that come out of their mouths.
6: Can I
17: be heard? Yes, sir. I agree with you, guys, and um, to the other callers and listeners. Um, also, something else that might help with uh, the stress are uh, frequencies. If you go to YouTube, there's different frequencies that actually, um, it's either tones or actual music, music that can um, shift your, your, uh, your brain vibration to a more relaxed state. Um, even if you're in a stress situation or a situation where you're upset and on um, the, the, the ones you, and you can look them up on YouTube. Um, they have them, some of them are hours long. Some of them are just like 30 minutes or an hour, but um, one is uh, 396 Hertz. Um, that one is used for liberating guilt and fear Um four seventeen Hertz is for do, undoing situations and facilitating change. 528 Hertz is for transformation and miracles. Also DNA repair our 639 Hertz is for our connecting and relationships. 741 Hertz is for expression and solutions. And the final one is 852 Hertz. And that is for returning to spiritual order. And these are different tones that I've used. And also I've, Um, recommended them to other people that they utilize in their meditations and things like that. And it's helped them um, immensely. So hopefully that'll also help you as well, as far as just dealing with any of the emotional aspects and the anxiety aspects, or even um, the the emotional discomfort. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. I wish you the best because that's a very tough situation.
11: see if we can nab other uh, suggestions as we go for Ashley in, uh, Ashley in Louisiana. Um, I don't know, the first caller, uh, Kendra, the dialed in, I don't know if that's a suggestion other than if folks want to comment, but certainly uh, you're always welcome if you want to comment uh, on anything that you've heard from other callers or if you have suggestions uh, for other callers or questions for any of the other callers, always feel free. Uh, other folks, if you all have commentary you would like to share, lines should be open.
6: be heard. Yes, sir. Uh, This is uh, 2812 from Virginia. Um, Hope everybody's having a good night. Uh, I give a quick update about last week. I called in in reference to the conflict that I had with the uh, older white female. She was going to slap me. Uh, Took the advice. Thought about it. Um, And I'm just going with no contact, no conflict. And... We just, I just stopped talking, period. Uh, she actually did have to call me. <laughs> it was ironic because she didn't need help with something. And at that moment, even when the phone was ringing, I said, if I'm tacky with this, this can go far. And so I was just, I picked up the phone, said, how can I help you? She had a question about something on the computer. Um, I gave her exactly what to do, and that was it. And I haven't heard from her in about a week, week and a half. So, And also changed my tone, um, how I'm speaking with her. Uh, not um, not in a negative way, but just a little bit more straightforward, uh, thank you, uh, and stuff like that. And it's been very, very helpful. I think she, she got the point. Um, but another thing, I've got a couple stories in there, but another thing is that I noticed, um, now that, I, you know, Gus had mentioned something about retrospect, she, when I first started working there, um, I'm at a new company. I'm in the mortgage business. She sat down and we're talking. was talking to me about she has a friend. This lady makes like half a million dollars a year, and she's a black female. And she's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on with her. You know, she just has trouble finding dates, and she can't do this. And, you know, and no, she she can't really find a good man. And I was wondering if you have any friends for her. And I kind of looked at her, and I was like, why would you? I don't. You know set people up for anything but i said that's a very weird question and you know there's a lot of other people that work there and i didn't see her asking any other uh black males there because there's a lot of us there it's about maybe five or six in that particular office so i just uh, found that peculiar another thing is that the company i used to work to work for a couple years ago um i had a manager and this guy was a marine and i remember i was really confused about racism. i was really confused about life But I was really confused about racism, and he used to sit me in there, and for at least 30 minutes a day, he would go on about Barack Obama. And I remember I would just, like, oh, he's terrible, the Democrats are terrible, and they suck, and this is what they're going to do. And I would just look at him like, why is he saying this? And even when he was done, I was like, hey, well, you know, he's got a job to do. And I wasn't really codified because I was pretty confused, but I knew I didn't want to kind of get into that with him. And so that was just something I remembered just how tacky it was. Um, and then I have a situation to where, um, I have a gentleman, uh, that was, I don't, I guess I'll call it an attempted tragic, tragic arrangement. And, um, unfortunately in Virginia where I'm at, there's a lot. of And I mean, a lot, it was an attempted tragic arrangement. Just long story short is white female. Um, I know her because my sons used to play on the same football team with her children, and she has two non-white boys. Every male that she dates is a non-white male, every single one of them. And apparently these two were engaged, and this non-white male called me and said, hey, you know, have you seen her? And I'm like, why are you asking me have I seen this woman? He's like, yeah, because she's not calling me and things of that nature. And, you know, this guy is like literally – I don't even want to call it suicidal, but he's really like his whole life is changing. He, she kicked him out. He doesn't have anywhere to live. And it's a pattern for all of these other gentlemen that, uh, that she works with. She also does in-home health care and the people that she does in-home health care for are, they have a tendency to be black males as well. Uh, for people that have mental, uh, mental issues and things of that nature. The reason why I know this is because I've done a mortgage loan for her. Uh, so and um, that was interesting. And then the uh, last thing I want to mention, I know it's going to sound a little crazy, but I want to thank us because the beginning of this week was really tough. But I listened to the, I think it was last week where you had the two young ladies that were involved in their parents. They're in biracial, uh, their parent, they are uh, a biracial parent. And in the beginning, before you did your introduction, there was a song playing. And I think it was called biracial girl. And I was like, I don't think that's a real song. And I YouTubed it. And that was my last of the week. So Mr. Renegade, I appreciate it. And that's it.
11: Ah, that is hilarious. I think, uh, one of those young ladies should be with us. Uh, Chantel is, uh, hanging out right now. Um, but that is hilarious because Sean Fury did that song, uh, Biracial Girl. And I, I too, uh, if ever I'm having a tough time on the plantation, uh, which is often, I will watch that video and laugh for a good five minutes. He is a victim of racism, but, I mean, it's all entertainment, so I feel no problem. Uh, I have laughed and laughed and laughed, and every time I hear it, uh, that helps get my spirits up and <laughs> continue going. So if you got some enjoyment... Wonderful, wonderful. I'm so glad. Uh, other folks who have commentary, and that's great. I'm glad you no contact with a white woman who physically uh, threatened you with violence. The no contact and just changing your tone of voice, because whites, they get that when, oh, this nigger has changed. How he's excellent, excellent, minimized. I would make sure uh, that we are not in close proximity uh for her to do anything, any of our conversation is gonna be email, phone, and uh that way you'll have a written record if it's via email, phone. I might even think about recording the conversation based on her terroristic behavior. Uh other folks who dialed in, if you had questions, comments, or if you wanted to share your own situation, proceed. Can I be heard? Can I be heard? Oh, uh, we'll get the female caller.
15: So, um, this is Jay from Ohio again. I actually um, have, I guess, uh, two observations, or um, I, I definitely need help with at least one. Um, so with my job, they have hired some more people to help up with the workload, um, and the one lady that they uh, they hired three people, uh, one white woman and two non-white black females. And I end up having to train the white woman. Um, She's like an older white lady, not quite sure, maybe in her late 40s, 50s, something like that. Um, She, now all of them, and even myself, we've all gotten the same type of training. Now, actually, uh, except for with these new, these three new people, I'm assuming they got maybe like an extra day or something like that, but usually whenever someone comes out through this, this group that I'm in, they always seem to add on at least an extra day of training, because apparently the people who had taken the training before me, they only had, let's like say, two days, then I had three days, and now there's the new people that just came out, they had four days. Well, this white woman was supposed to be um, essentially taking over half of my workload, She keeps. She she has done this repeatedly. Has said, "Well, oh, I wasn't trained on that," and just knowing, like, my supervisor has told all of us, all the people who are working on basically the same type of projects. um, You know, they have gone through training, essentially the same training that you know that I went through, and some of the other people that were in my training class went through and um, so it's like it is definitely puzzling to me whenever she would come to me and say something like that, and I had to i have been constantly having to go back to her and say, "Hey, you know it's in this document, you know how to do this." We were all basically gotten the same training. I did say it a lot more codified than that, but i I really had to take like you know several deep breaths before I actually responded back to her because um. I I was definitely getting frustrated. I actually end up going to our manager and saying something to him. Um, because he's actually gone to me come to me and asked me to give her additional training, which I had to do and I would still run into this whole thing where I know for a fact that I trained her on certain processes and then when I would ask her to complete those same processes, she would say, Oh, well, I wasn't trained in that. I was only I only know how to do this. So there's I I I've been the main thing that I've been doing is just basically listening to the podcast, just like I had mentioned to the other female caller, um, just trying to just take a deep breath before I respond back to her, especially when she says, Well, this is beyond my expertise and things of that nature. Um, but I I'm not quite sure how I can really um i'm I'm sure of course i understand that there's no getting through to her and and our manager is also a, a white male and there's definitely no getting through to him either so i'm not quite sure how how to really deal with that and it's actually gotten to the point to where she's now affecting basically my my job um because if she's supposed to be helping me with my workload and if she's not doing that, then essentially it falls back on me and she's actually done something wrong and it's fallen back on me to correct it. Um, that was the first thing. Uh the second thing it's it's not so much as a, a problem, but it's definitely um I'm I'm definitely glad that I've been listening to the cows for at least a a few months now. Um and what I've noticed is that with 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 um you know, racism, white supremacy, or de suspected racist, they definitely get you accustomed to, like, the few extra nipples that they want to give you, and then they'll change the processes to where it's possible that, you know, they're taking away, you know, the bonuses or whatever that they've allowed you to get. And so at first I was almost ready to get very upset, but of course, you know, that's that's what they want to do. They want to make you emotional. Um, just, just for instance, now it's like a... Uh, with the different projects if we if they are reviewed, and if let's say we do something wrong, we can um get double marks instead of just the one mark that um we would usually get uh before they change the processes and I feel like that's definitely something that I've heard from other people or like other family members when dealing with jobs where they've had like bonuses where you can earn just based on your job performance. And then once they figured out that, you know, there's too many people getting them consistently, then that's when they start to change it. Um, uh, I'm sorry. And then there's one other instance. that's actually with my mother. She uh, is a a manager at a call center and um, there was a situation with a, a non-white, non-black, uh, male and, um, who was not necessarily, uh, she's not necessarily supervising, but, uh, he would come to her. They would, they were kind of like staying close. Uh, apparently he was, um, in the military or some type of, um, part of, I don't know the armed forces, what have you. And, um, he would get, uh, very emotional all the time and get very mad at the people, especially if they have said something to him. And um, he has also, like, uh, gone to HR and um, basically definitely not being codified, um, definitely being very con- – uh, I'm assuming he's definitely very confused. Well, ever since he basically started to, I would say, put a target on himself Uh, the higher-ups, the people who are above my mother, who, for the the most part, they are white, except for um, there's one Asian woman, and then there's one black woman, which my mother had described as the the black lady being a very, uh, very confused individual who just likes to kiss up to the white people who are um, in, in upper management. Well, The Hispanic male, he did something wrong. He gave, like, a discount to someone who he wasn't supposed to give a discount to. Um, My mother tried to correct it because the Hispanic male, knowing their relationship, um, he came to her, and my mother tried to fix it, still giving the customer the discount. And so the management, um, that was definitely their cue. That's basically all they needed to get rid of the Hispanic male or the Latino, the, the Latino male, Um, but my mother was actually very confused about it because she was speaking with someone else um, in a different department because she couldn't understand why they, how they could even find out that he had given a discount to a customer because of the size of the company and the amount of um, customers that everyone, that all the different associates Speak to, so my mother has basically uh, feels like they must have been listening to all of his calls, waiting for him to do something wrong. But the issue that she's having now is that now they want to um, discipline her because she tried to correct the issue, um, not because not necessarily, not necessarily uh, for his benefit, but to benefit the customer because if the customer was already promised a discount and if the, if the male, if the
3: non-white, non-black male
15: already uh, promised them that, then she didn't necessarily show that it was. She felt like she had the a power to do so, and she also told me that just the day prior, when she was, a, when she, she didn't know if she could, she really had the um, the ability to, um, let's say, give a discount or you know do an upgrade or what have you. Um, she had actually her non, her white. Uh, um, supervisor had told her well you know you do have the ability to do this since you are a supervisor but then when she does take the initiative to correct the issue that the male did um, then that's when they want to discipline her so um just wanted to get some feedback on those issues uh, thank you for listening
11: absolutely um we'll see if you know folks have because there are so many distinct uh scenarios one of them not even you specifically with your mother uh with your mother's situation the word that immediately jumped out to me discretion uh, i've talked about that on the program before uh, where it just basically racist they have license they can change policy when they see fit uh, they can just make up whatever they want to do on the spot i've said consistently that's uh, that is decoded as feel free to practice white supremacy at will, that word discretion. But that's what it sounds like to me, this discount thing. Uh, like this might be something where we have discretion. We can give the discount when we want to, to you know, or you cannot give it if you want to. If you're a manager, you might have that uh, that authority to do so. Uh, it seems like she was told that and then them coming back and decide, well, no, uh, we're going to get you in trouble because you, you shouldn't have done that. That's the first thing that came to mind. Uh, I would want to know like, precisely what policy or rule they're saying is being violated. Uh, because that 's where that discretion thing too, sometimes that'll end up being one of the non written type policies that well if you 're a manager, you can do this, you you know can come make your own decision about how you want to handle uh, situations. I would be trying to ask specifically if it's it 's being stated that I did something incorrect, can you you know show exact policy where exactly in the manual you know did I violate a rule and particularly given if it 's about this discount where I had been told previously that having the position that I do. I have the authority, the discretion to, you know, exercise to give a discount or not, uh, from the position that I have. I want clarification on that. With your situation, with the incompetent white person who's saying that she didn't get training or this is beyond her understanding, and now it's compromising your ability to work efficiently. I would keep. Her, this is why I talk about documentation all the time. I would have a written record of every time where she said, like, the exact assignment, this is the date, this is what she said she was not trained on. Uh, And Granted, you are going to be having to go back to a white person, but I would want an extensive uh, paper trail, as they say, of this is where she failed, this is where she failed, this is where she failed, and saying that she doesn't know how to do this. Um, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I don't know what her training was, but if we're all supposed to get basically the same type of training, we're all supposed to be able to do this, how do we proceed if this person is consistently saying that they are not able to complete this task if do they need to be retrained what do we need to do to get this resolved so that she is efficiently able to complete all of her tasks does she need to be retrained if so can we get that done if retraining her is not an option then how do we move forward that's that questions questions those are the questions i would ask and i would that might even be something that i would write to the white boss Via email before this becomes a sit-down conversation. That way, there's a written record of that as well. If this person, if we have an employee who's saying that they are not, they have not been trained adequately to complete their work duties, and I go to my supervisor, who's I guess this person's supervisor as well. This person's saying that they're not trained well enough to do their job. What should be done about this? Do they need to be? Does she need to be retrained? If not, how do we resolve this? And then whatever their written response, I would put that in my file as well. Uh, do folks have suggestions for this, uh, our female caller currently, uh, either her mom's situation about this discount and them getting rid of the, uh, quote unquote Latino male and now coming after her or her having to deal with this incompetent, uh, racist white woman on the job. Folks have suggestions. Um,
16: I would keep a paper trail of every encounter I had with, uh, this, incompetent white woman and like I would write down whatever you talked about or whatever I had to walk her on through on how to do something and I would uh, I would just sign and date it
11: if you go that route I would log uh, the time that you have to spend showing because that's also compromising your work efficiency if you have to stop and take 20 minutes 30 minutes however long it takes. Uh, to show her, I would include that as well. Uh, because then, when questions start being asked about why you had to work more hours or why you couldn't get as much done, well, on uh, Monday, January the 9th, I had to stop and train Beth for 30 minutes to do this. And then it came back on Wednesday. The 11th, I had to stop and train for another 40 minutes. And that way you can show now by the time we get to the end of the week, that's an additional two hours uh, of work time that I lost, that I did not, you know, include that I was going to have to take two hours out of my schedule to retrain her on something that she should already know how to do.
17: Um, yes, sir. Oh, thank you. Um, I would also suggest if you can correspond with her in email. So you have, you know, documentation in email form that's considered a legal document and it's dated and timestamped. Um, also I would record my conversations with her too, because if she's repeatedly, um, if you're training her on things and she repeatedly says she doesn't know how to do what you have been training her on, then she's just completely incompetent because usually training should be a one shot deal where the person gets what they need to do and then they move on. So if you're having to retrain her consistently on the same thing, obviously she's, she's, she's just not confident. Um, so I would actually have, com- have those conversations that I have with her, I would record them. And that way at least you even have her in her own words, basically telling on herself. So if anything does come back, you can just, Hey, let's go right to the to the recording and we can hear what she had to say out her own mouth and leave it at that. Um, thank you. I'll meet my line. This type of
11: situation as well, uh, just because white people lie All the time. It could just be that she's incompetent. That certainly happens in a system of white supremacy where white people who are not clearly not qualified for a job and they get it anyway. That happens all the time. This also could just be a lazy heifer uh, where she does know how to do this and she's just being stupid, playing stupid, practicing racism so that you end up getting all this work or even maybe get in trouble. Uh, because she is botching your workload. That also could be the case. I just think that's important to keep in mind proceeding. If that is the case, that she's just lying and being lazy about all this, that might impact, you know, how I proceed. If I, get, if I got confirmation or if I began to think that that is the case, that she's just lying. Uh, do you have a sense about, you know, is this really just uh, a, a lame, incompetent uh, racist suspect, or do we think she could be
7: lying?
15: I actually, and I definitely appreciate, um, I've actually been writing this, this stuff down too. Um, I think I still do have some of the emails about where she said, oh, oh, I don't know how to do this, but I feel like it's a little bit of both because of all the additional training that I've had to give to give her, and I've actually had to tell her, hey, you might want to write this down, and her just not listen, and she's just not, not getting it. I'm like, if you didn't get it the first time, then maybe you do need some additional write it down or even actually walking her through the process. So um, that's that's actually something that I've been trying to think about too, whether it's like, you know, she's incompetent or she just doesn't care. But I I definitely appreciate it.
17: Um, Just from what what you just described um, to the female caller, she, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's getting away with it simply because if you're already training her in something and she's not writing it down, She's basically vampiring you on the job. And she's and she's had, it seems to me like she's probably having fun. The reason why is because I'm pretty sure the conversation she's having with you about not being trained and not knowing what she's doing is completely different from the conversation she has with the white people when she's in their presence and hanging out with them. And it seems to me like she's getting away with playing this incompetent role because she's able to use you to waste time so that she can say, I'm, I'm not trained. But I'm pretty sure she's not telling these white people she's not trained because white people don't tolerate uh, someone who can't do their job. So, definitely, it sounds to me, especially after Gus was like, yep, she's lying. She seems like she's lying. She seems like she's purposefully, because anyone with sense who wants to actually do a good job will write things down. If I'm not, if I'm going through the steps, I can't remember the steps, or maybe I'm missing a step here or there, then I'll say, hey, can we just take it a little slow? I'm going to get a notepad, write stuff down. So that way, I don't have to be a burden on someone else. You know, and if she's continuing to be a burden and she's not taking proactive steps to help herself, get away from, from having to utilize you as a crutch that she's using you and she's doing what white people do impeccably and in rare in rare form simply because she's able to play it off against the white people they're not getting at her that are reprimanding her and then your work is suffering because you have to spend all this extra time re retraining this woman on, on a consistent basis and that seems to me like they're being used thank you
12: Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, to that caller, uh, is, do you know if, if the company has like a, a training portal where all training documents or anything that you you use to train someone is, is put in a, a portal where a person that was trained can go back and reference that instead of going back to you to be retrained?
15: Actually, yes, and that that's the crazy, I won't even say it's crazy, I feel like it is, it's definitely something to, to wear me down, um, because I've actually had to go back and tell her, hey, you need to look at, pull it up in this system, um, pull up the training document in this system, and it's almost like, I don't know if in her training that she didn't have to read through them, or, or what have you, because there's very basic things that all of us had to do, and um, Hurt, she's just not getting it or she's just acting as that she's not getting it. Um, the, the other thing is that the, the next step, hopefully I'll have an update, but I will be going um, I will be trying to see to my supervisor tomorrow about making seeing if she can get her own work that is assigned to her because that, that's actually my, one of my my hopes that is going to happen because if she's really incompetent as I feel like she is, then that'll show if she has to completely do the work on her own rather than just kind of piggybacking off some of my projects.
12: Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, I, I just brought that up. Cause I know at, at you know, at my uh, plantation, they always tell us to, to go back to that training portal if, you know, no one really has additional time to kind of assist. And that's what that portal is for. I would just let her know, uh, nicely and in a professional way uh, just refer her back to that training portal that's what it's there for everyone here uses it um so you should use it as well um you've already trained her multiple times and she's just yeah she's def- definitely abusing her um her, her uh um, her her abilities you know getting trained and coming back to you she's yeah she's definitely um definitely know knows what she's doing
15: All right. Well, I definitely appreciate it. I don't want to take up too much
11: more time, but I, I definitely appreciate the suggestion. For sure. Uh, there were three people that spoke, uh, simultaneously. We got our female caller, uh, our caller who just spoke up, uh, Greg, were you going to share as well?
12: Yeah. Yeah. What's going on Gus? Uh, and to all the callers, um, yeah, I just have some commentary on, um, on a manager of mine's and, and a little incident that happened earlier today. Um, so I have a manager, she she, she's been, I work at a bank, so she just came in like four months ago. Uh, a, uh, white, uh, suspected, uh, white supremacist, uh, lady, um, she's about probably, uh, in her, in her late 50s, early 60s. Um, when she first came to the bank, she kind of went around Introduced herself to uh to everyone so once she came up to me um, I'm the only male in my department and I'm the only black male in my, in my in my department um I do work with other non-white uh victims um but the management which is about it's about four managers uh two white women and two white males uh, but everyone else is is non white with us, except for two other white co-workers, but everyone else is a non white team. There's about 15 of us. Uh so she comes around to me and she, uh, she before, you know, she introduces herself and then the next line is, Oh, you you look like someone. So, you know, I get that a lot. Like white people uh compare me of looking like Sammy Davis Jr. Um, which is which is funny. Um so I thought that's what she was gonna say. And I was like, oh but I didn't say I didn't come out. I was like, oh, I, I know what you're gonna say, Sammy Davis Jr. I get it a lot, you know, white people, you know, whatever. But so she was like, oh, you look like the Jamaican tracker runner, uh, and I was like, oh, and you know, I was like, hmm, you know. Um, and then she, you know, then kind of just goes into, you know, she uh, can't wait to can't wait to work with me, and you know, is excited about joining the team. Um. So I just found that I just found that in an odd comment. So I had to look up. I I didn't watch track over the song. so I didn't quite know like who she was talking about. And so I looked the person up, and the only reason why she compared me to this Jamaican track star is uh, because my hairstyle was similar to his. So I just found I just found found it that to be uh, a a comment that was you know kind of like man you know. Um, Comparing me to a a Jamaican track star in the first, you know, when you first meet me. Uh, So a few weeks ago, the same manager, um, you know, I'm quiet on the job. Um, I, I plug in, you know, I don't listen to music. I listen to the cows or listen to a podcast and some other stuff. Sometimes I don't play anything. So my codification for at least my white managers or white people to not come up to me, um, or to engage me is that they think I'm listening to something so they kind of, you know, they kind of bypass me. Um, but a lot of times I'm not listening to anything so I can listen to her conversations or to see, you know, my surroundings. Um, so she kind of like, oh, you're quiet. You always got, you're always plugged in and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so like two weeks ago, she was like, man, you're, you're just quiet and sneaky. Um, and I was like, wow, like, I, you know, like sneaky, like, you know, what? like sneaky really um uh, so i just found, you know another odd comment by her um and then just a few days ago she uh i had a meeting she's a production uh, manager so you know she, pro- productivity she brought me an office Um uh, before i she brought me in um i was by her office or by her desk so she was like hey you know come in i know you want to come to me um. So let me just, you know, get you to come in so I can talk with you. Um, because previously she sent out an email telling people to come to her desk so she can go over something with them. Um, I didn't come the day of. I kind of waited a few days. And I guess she felt like I should have came that same day. Uh, so she was like, uh, yeah, you want to come to me, so let me just bring you in here right now. Uh, so she made a comment about my, about my uh, productivity. And she was like, well, you didn't quite – you know, you didn't quite make it this time. You wasn't quite there, almost close, not quite a cigar, uh, but almost close. Um, so when she, you know, said the cigar reference, you know, I thought of Francis, Francis Wilson, and I was like, you know, I'm like an odd comment again. Uh, so this is a manager, man. You know, white, suspected white supremacist, a white woman that um, you know, I'm gonna just keep my eyes, you know, on her. Write down, you know, all the comments that she does make um and uh yeah that's that's her uh so early uh later on during the day today um i have a white coworker. she we both came over at the same time um and our manager is a white woman kind of like got really close and kind of just kind of started having her do a lot a lot more stuff so she's technically now like an assistant manager um, so today she won an award, uh, which is a, a big award throughout the bank. And my coworkers, which most of them, most of them are women, they're not, they're white. One of them, you know, I was in my, you know, in my cube. So she stood up because she was like, you know, wondering what was the commotion that was going on. People were like clapping and stuff. So she was like, oh, okay, she got the award. So then she tapped my desk and was like, hey, you know, you know, she got the award. And I was like, and I unplugged my headphones, which I wasn't planning anything. But you know, uh, so I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, okay, hmm, okay, okay, cool, you know. Um, you know, then I pulled back in because I really didn't care. But my my coworker, she was like, you know, she was like, what the f? Um, as if like, you know, hmm, why she get it? We one of us could have got it. We do more work, you know, than her. Um, so I, you know, I just kind of noted, noted that. And they're actually really close. You know, she would consider this white girl as a friend. And so I was kind of like, hmm, you know, why why the jealousy if this is your so-called white friend? Um, that was, you know, kind of a thing that I kind of noted. We also have a coworker that's been on the job for 18 years, a uh, non-white victim, um, and she has never won uh, one of these awards. So I just felt like this girl... Coming over when I came over like a year or two ago uh, to kind of get close with the manager and then kind of get this accolade award uh, where she's taking like a a Las Vegas trip and money and, you know, all type of stuff. You know, and these other, you know, other victims are kind of looking like "Ah, the white girl. She got the award. But yeah, so that's all I had man. workplace racism
11: wow spectacular that number just to the last incident uh, i've said this all the time uh white people they do not necessarily like other white people uh, i have seen tons of illustrations of that and the white chick's response is supposed to be her homie gets the award this what the hell that lazy heifer why'd she get that? i have seen that exact same thing uh Don't be confused and think that they won't work together to mess over you or any other non-white person because they absolutely will. But that does not mean that they are in love with each other and think great. Not at all. Uh, This is just about terrorism and tackiness all day long. Now, uh, for the white woman, your boss, um, I think that's interesting because I think someone just uh, recently had talked about they were quiet on the job and – it was not oh you're just you know a quiet little person and you're part of the team you're welcome we would forget you were even here it's not that it's you are quiet and devious and suspicious and sneaky, there's something criminal <laughs> about you, uh, and that's just standard operating procedure. I would, I would just encourage, keep a little log of those type of things when she compares you to, uh, I assume this is Hussein Bolt she's talking about, compares you to him and then saying you're sneaky. I would just keep a little log because that's so quick. That's something that you could write down. Uh, you could put that if you got, you know, smartphone or whatever, your mobile device, you could just keep a log of that. Date time, this is what she said. Uh, if you end up working there a year, five years, ten years, whatever, you could end up having a long list of those types of comments uh, to keep if they ever, you know, try to come at you aggressively or, you know, begin doing more layers of tackiness, you'll just have tons, tons and tons. And that one comment in and of itself probably wouldn't do anything. But if you end up with a log uh, over months, weeks, years, that can have a substantial impact. So I would just keep a little log of those types of comments. And if anything, I think it's good just to keeping you aware this is what it is. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing is right because they're giving a little cigar reminders and everything about how they're thinking that they're right. You're correct. You know you're around racists. And just to stay sharp with your codification, I, I love having the headphones in with no sound playing so that you can be aware of your surroundings. That is brilliant. Counter-Racist codification. Uh, Let's see. It was three simultaneous. uh, I think retired firefighter is the only one we missed out. Did you have commentary? Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
13: Greetings, everyone. Uh, uh, On some of the previous calls that I was able to uh, catch, uh, there was a male caller uh, calls back that uh, mentioned about how he changed his tune. I thought that was a great counter-racist strategy uh uh as far as uh working on your vo- voice tone when you're talking to uh another employee uh in some cases it doesn't matter if they're white or non white and uh with an emphasis on firmness, but yet at the same time use the the right vocabulary that would imply that uh I'm being polite uh and in most cases people get the message the person that uh you are relating to or talking to they get the message and uh it kind of like uh gives you uh uh, a uh, some some space from a lot of the uh, foolishness that goes on uh on the job um yeah uh Workplace racism, uh, primarily I don't, I don't have to deal directly with white people. Uh, uh, although they're all white people, uh, at this particular high school, uh, but, but, uh, the whole coaching staff is non-white black males. And I primarily deal, uh, for the most part with them. And especially with the, uh, the head football coach. Uh, so some of the things that I'm, li- I listen to, uh, I really don't have, uh, that direct issue. Although just like any other job, of co- course, racism, white supremacy that exists on, on, on the, the job. Uh, recently, uh, as most of the listeners know that, uh, the team that I, uh, coach on, uh, won, uh, a, uh, state championship this is actually the uh the uh fifth uh experience that i've had uh with that along with it some of the accolades that goes along with with winning uh a championship uh is uh the team gets to uh ride ride on and this is this is uh, kind of ironic. Ride on a fire truck through the Martin Luther King parade, uh, and also uh, uh, they are given amongst a lot of other things, uh, uh, championship "quote unquote" rings. Uh, the retired firefighter is definitely is not going to ride on any fire truck, and I'm definitely not going to anything called a Martin Luther King parade uh, for, for, for various reasons. Uh, I don't see nothing constructive and relevant about a parade, uh, and the problem that this black male died attempting to change is still here. Uh, uh, and amongst, and then from from the ones that I went to in the past years, many many years ago, uh, I don't see anything exactly constructive going on at these at these at these parades uh to whereas uh it even gets so bad that uh, uh there now is uh is uh young uh people who get get on ATVs and and uh and uh, uh dirt bikes and, and literally ride through the entire uh, uh realm of Miami Dade County uh somewhere in the vicinity of fifty to sixty bikes down the streets. Uh, 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 just ripping and running up and down the streets. Now, mind you now, one of the children that I coached uh, uh, died on one of these things, was killed on one of these things uh, uh, last spring. Uh, But uh, no, I would not be uh, riding on anybody's fire truck and uh, I would not participate in the parade. And I also uh, will not accept a ring at all uh for obvious reasons uh i I would bet still today that there are some non-white people somewhere in the world who are the ones who have to go and risk their lives and uh pick up these shiny rocks whether it's gold or diamonds or whatever it can be copper as far as I'm concerned and uh I wouldn't be uh, interested in doing it to make that kind of sacrifice and uh, i don't even, i don't wear any jewelry jewelry anyway as far as they're concerned so uh no and i, I uh did contact uh the head football coach and inform him that I would not be participating that is not even why the uh the retired firefighter uh uh gets involved as a uh, football coach anyway uh to to just to get those type of athletes that's not the reason why I do it Anyway, so, uh, and he uh, uh, very clearly understood on it. And uh, I just wanted to let him know if he didn't see me on why, on, on that, I you know, why I wouldn't be there. Uh, so those are uh, uh, two things that I uh, just wanted to mention uh, this week. Thank you.
11: Appreciate that, retired firefighter. Black self-respect. Awesome. Yes, sir.
1: Yes, greetings, Gus. Greetings uh all the callers. Very <coughs> constructive information this evening. I just want to share a few of my experiences on the open-air plantation, which is known as self-employment in this part of the world. This is Lamin from KC. Uh, white welfare. Kansas I City, Missouri Kansas City, Kansas? Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. Uh, but I'm very, I, I go back and forth in between both of them, so... Uh, white welfare, full effect. I think when, when the caller previously spoke about her supposedly unaware or confused white coworker who needed to be walked through things, I'm just reminded of white welfare because I see it everywhere. Um, Carol Kanban speaks about it's just white welfare. These people, I mean, the system works on them making money off of non-white people. But I'm reminded of that every day. And, and that caller, I was reminded. Um, I added some new code. Two, um, my personal code was not saying good morning. I've heard several non-white people, including people on this call, in the cows, uh, make note not to say good morning or good evening or good day, as opposed to just saying morning if they speak to white people at all. Uh, very, very important that for me, it's helped to keep my mind in the right fra- frame of mind when I'm going about my day and not be distracted because when non-white people specifically black males are distracted or black females i've uh very terrible things generally happen so being focused and trying to stay on task i had two white males that uh brought me to a house for an estimate this week or last week they um it was i guess freezing outside i hate the cold and um the house had no ac it was kind of good they Uh, In a black neighborhood, predominantly black neighborhood, um, uh, there's something people like to call gentrification, which is happening in parts of the city. The white people are just basically taking their their land back again because they never really gave it away. The two white males had me estimate this home, and um, they had me go in. The house is totally disgusting and just a wreck, and they tell me, hey, look, they want to get it all done they tell me their budget's 35,000. Um, so I take notes. They actually had four pages printed out for me of all the things they wanted to do. So I go home and put together over the period of the weekend, three days, it takes me probably about six or seven hours or eight hour- or so hours to put together the estimate. Well, their budget and what they gave me, um, and, and what it would cost w- was nothing close. In fact, um, uh, I'm very reasonable on my rates. In fact, I'm. Some would even describe them as cheap, and my estimate was $60,000 for the total remodel for all the things they wanted done, including some used equipment. Uh, I was sent an email in response. I, I called, and I wasn't, he didn't even answer the phone. He said he was in a meeting or something, but I'd, I'd never believe white people. He told me that he was, um, was over his budget and he wanted to do it. He told me what his budget was. I believe he was practicing racism. I have learned something being self-employed um, that white people lie often and about everything, and especially in the area of activity uh, known as economics when it comes to money. White people lie. Man, if, if supposedly non-white people lie to dodge bill collectors and we're bad tippers, as they say, um, as the example earlier shown, we don't understand how they, how white people lie when it comes to abusing black people and non-white people, other non-white people, when it comes to money. So, I, I mean, my, my personal, something I've added to my code in the past few months is I never give them, and I always assume they have the money because collectively and individually, these people have the money. This white man who brought me to this house likely... Had access to millions of dollars if he wanted it, if he wanted it, and I will never sell myself short. It's bad enough we're getting paid literal slave wages to do work on our own account, but I would never give them an opportunity to get out. And I think that's something non-white people have to remember on interviews when they go in um, and they ask them how much or do you you know how much do you want to make? What do you think? Do not budge. Do not blink. Um, it, it helped me in the, in the quote unquote corporate world and that cesspool. And it, it helped me to be able to make a meager amount more money than I did whenever I wasn't confident about that. And I, I just want to remind the listeners about that. Um, it also happened, uh, this, these white man who invited me to his house for an estimate, he brought me to, to do this estimate. There was a gunshot, um, Blood that was splattered on the ceiling. The house was previously known for uh, selling drugs, and there was on the top of the stairway, there was blood splattered on the ceiling. You could probably, if you're like a forensics or scientific person, you could probably estimate the trajectory, like how this person got shot. And they actually told me about that incident and how he was shot at the top of the stairs, and the blood splattered up it was just a reminder how non-white people, uh, you know, black communities we suffer because of, and they thought it was just hilarious. They were just laughing like, ha ha, ha you know, hey, a nigga got shot in the house and oh, ha, ha, you know, it's funny, look at the story. It? And, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, my brother's over here, who knows what this, what could have happened here, but it was because of the drugs that your uncle, your father, your brother probably helped bring to this country or is protecting overseas with a weapon. So, again it would be racist everywhere if you live in a system of racism white supremacy um, but keeping focus um, another thing I just want to share I had a, a non-white um, male from the part of the world known as India uh, had me go to his house for for an estimate as well um, December was a really really bad month for me I mean horribly depressingly bad month and uh, January has has picked up very very much um i mean there's checks in the bank i'm i'm i'm, I'm relatively excited i guess you know measuredly excited because it's a I there was a lot of things that came through january but december was extremely really rough so i was i was really hard up for work i mean everybody was scrambling contractor wise because nobody wants to spend money during christmas on on patching a wall they they rather let water come through the roof so this man from the part of the world of India, non-white male, invites me to his house uh, to do some work. You know, He's really excited, gets me over, and you know, I go to do an estimate. I close a lot of the business I estimate, or I do estimates for. So I'm really kind of confident when I go into people's houses and give them good numbers. He goes in and tells me that, you know, I'm telling him he's at $7, $7 to $10 a square foot for the tile. This man tells me he's got another non-white, quote-unquote, Mexican guy, we could do it for $2 a square foot, which I know nobody's probably, not many contractors on the phone. That's pretty much for free. I believe he was lying to me, uh, lying to me so that he would get me to do the work for essentially free. It's very upsetting because I know that as a black male, he would not pull that stunt if my name was was Fletcher and I was white and I walked, and he wouldn't even pull that stunt with me. Like and 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 how do I know this? Because I do this so many times. I go through this. Um, the anti-blackness and just the abuse by sometimes other non-white people, um, specifically towards black people, regardless of our demeanor, our color, our clothes, how, how we talk, is a constant reminder that the system must be replaced. And um, I, I did have a, a, another experience at the SPCA, Short, just briefly I'll share. It was um, very trashy. Um, I, I took, um, I had to take my animal in to get, I just recently got a new animal to protect my family from terrorists, white terrorists, and while I'm not around. So I got a little small animal and I, I I took him to took her to the SPCA. Um, you know, of course it's all white people, supposedly all animal lovers, which I find a very strong link between white people loving animals and their aptitude to practice racism practicing racism. However, I go in, um, I take my dog the dog I, I recently purchased it from another uh trashy terrorist uh, again i i'm i'm actually shameful. my wife reminded me that um it was very shameful to spend money on an animal giving money to white people um you know i wanted a certain type of animal and but however it was a good amen. reminder amen amen yeah it, it was it was it was it was very tragic to give them money and and we tried very much to minimize the money we give to dominators but i did in this instance um you know shame on me and, um, you know, I, again, taking it to a white doctor, I couldn't find a black veterinarian. So, again, more trashy behavior. I mean, it's, it's, we're constantly forcing this. But I walk in and, you know, they take the dog. Everybody's are oh, oh, hey, cute dog. Well, the dog seems to have a diarrhea issue. What they end up doing, because they they, they say the dog could have parvo, they quarantine me and the dog. So they put us in another room and sanitize the room. I'm talking like bleach scrub down, district not like just clean the room out and have me sitting in another, in a warehouse. They had me in the warehouse portion of the building in the cold, waiting for the doctor to come see my animal, which which they were fortunate. They actually did send a doctor to see the animal because they were actually closed that day. I just happened to, I just really needed to bring the animal in to get checked. Um, and they had us both in quarantine. And the woman was, the receptionist was like, "Oh, I, I have to go change my clothes. to This dog." And I mean, besides the fact that it was embarrassing, just more trashy, terroristic behavior. Um, I, I could hardly see them doing that to the white people who were in there, uh, especially the woman who was in there previously, uh, with or the man who came in with a stray cat who was hissing, and they had to they had to restrain in a crate. But I bring my dog in, they fear that me and my dog are bringing in the, the bubonic plague and quarantine us until they could, um, in, in such a crude fashion, again, I just believe more trashy behavior. So they come and actually get my, my, my dog and take it back, which I feel, I felt really, really strange about. I normally don't let white people take liberties with me, specifically when it comes to things that I'm, I'm looking after or I'm trying to um, to protect. They were. They took the animal in the back, and I was like, Wow, that was that was you know slow on my part to let them do that. Lord knows what they would do to that animal. Probably would give it a a disease and give it back to me. The woman comes out with the dog and is holding it close to her chest, but it's almost as if she's in a position where she's kind of taking the dog. Like the dog is so bad, do you really want this dog? Or I expected her to say at any moment, we're not going to give the dog back to you. Like I, I could just sell it's a very. It's a it's a Doberman. I mean, you know, white people love these dogs. They you know, they love this this type of dog. They feel very, you know, it's it's like it's our dog almost when you hear them speak about them. It was almost as if I, I could have seen her just say, "I'm not giving you this dog back. We're taking this dog away from you," as as if they like they do with with our children all the time. Um, which in this case, you know, I, I believe personally that white people see uh, animals better than they see um, black children or black people at that. But anyway, so they give me the dog and they hit me with this with a with a hundred bucks. I'm like, okay, great, you know, we get this done. The next day I have to go back to actually get the, the vaccines for the dog, get the dog to get it, to get it shot so they could, you know, protect it against this this uh you know, it has worms, has to get eat worms and whatnot. The woman charges me the same this the, the same amount, although the day before she told me she would reduce it based on the fact that I just came in and dropped a hundred dollars. So the next day it was 125, and she says, "Oh, oh, it's 125. You know, we, we don't discount anything." I show her a coupon I have from online. "Oh, that coupon doesn't apply to this." I'm "Like, what do you mean? It doesn't apply to this? it Applies to every?" "Oh, it doesn't apply to this specific situation." Very adamant, and I said, "Didn't you say you were going to discount it after I just came in and spent this money the day before?" She says, um, "Oh, yeah, I have to discount it." She discounts it five dollars, and says that is the cost of the deworming. I said, is that the cost of deworming by itself? She says, no, but when it's in a package, it's totally trashy behavior. At this point, I just want to leave the place and just, you know, um, yeah, I just want to leave. I want to get out of there. I ended up, you know, paying their money, just giving them what they did, a constant reminder. Um, this was brought on to, to myself in this situation because I went out and I purchased this this animal, um, but it still gives the terrorists an opportunity to work on our minds and of course you know what happens to us we get upset we come home and that just translates to our children to our spouse uh and it just it just it just continues in a domino effect but um i just want to share that with everyone and i i you know besides that i had a had a calm week the terrorism was, was reduced to a minimum um relatively peaceful but i did want to share those with everyone i'll take my call offline thank you
8: Thank you.
11: I was just going to say thank you kindly for sharing and uh, for Princess. She's called in also in Louisiana or although she might be Florida now, but uh, where she has said, oh, gosh, you just need to get a little hound and whatever. Uh, I'm not a people person and I'm not a dog person either. Um, Roz, you said you had a question or comment?
17: yes i did want to give my observations but i did have a comment and a question for the previous caller um and i wish you the best because i know that you go through a lot having to go into these pe- these houses and, and these uh building developments with these uh, psychopaths so i always think about you quite often so i do wish you the best but i was going to say in reference to um to east indians i actually have a few in in my family in trinidad um And one thing that I always stress for black people to keep in mind that India has the most horrific caste system, which is basically racism, white supremacy, and their abuse of black Indians is basically on par with with what we've gone through in the Western Hemisphere, and it's still happening right now. So when you deal with them, and my wife actually worked for a few of them when she um, worked in the fashion industry and the manufacturing industry, and the attitude is the same it's just this attitude that we're less we're subhuman we're less than them and they they from what i've seen personally and from what my wife has seen and other people who have have had to deal with the caste system the way indians practice it they worship white people so the closer you are to white the better you're perceived and you're treated the darker you are they're going to mistreat you they're going to lie to you they're going to try and you know just mistreat you and get extra money from you. Um, it's the only Indians that I find that that actually get along with Black people are Indians who understand their history and don't practice the caste system. Um, in reference to the dog, I wanted to ask you if you chose the dog or did the uh, white terrorists actually give the dog to you that you ended up purchasing?
1: Very interesting that you ask that. I. I wanted to minimize the amount of money that I spent uh, with the Dominator. They had other animal uh, Dobermans in the the litter that were more expensive. So I go to pick up the animal three hours away from home um, from, from where I live. And they give me a small one, supposedly a runt. So they chose the animal that they gave me, which is, I mean, the animal that I have very sick, although the conditions, you know, I went to their house. It was, it was pretty disgusting, but, I believe they gave me a sick animal again. Of course, I have no doubt that we're practicing racism. chose a sick animal to give to the black guy when they see me walk up to the door. They grab the sick dog and hand it over to me. And the owner kept texting me, the, you know, a couple of days later, how's the dog? How's the dog? So I have no doubt in my mind. I mean, this is you know, fool me once, shame
17: on. Me, fool me twice. It's not happening
1: again. But I believe they were practicing racism by giving me and intentionally giving me a sick animal.
17: That was my immediate thought when you said um, the condition of the dog and you had to take it to be seen because um, the runt of the litter is usually the least healthiest. That's the one that's not able to access the breast of, of the um, female dog um, as, as readily as the, the stronger ones in the litter. And what I found is because you did choose the cheaper dog and also they were allowed to choose the dog more than li- likely that dog has been carrying that sickness for a while and they were probably barely keeping it going, keeping it alive. And then, like you said, as soon as you came they're like, Oh yeah, we can get this to the nigger. And it's it's, it's, it's okay. Um, I don't know if you're close to Chicago. I'm, I'm My mind is just fuzzy as regards to the location of um, Kansas city, Missouri versus Chicago, but there's a black male um, that, I'm actually really cool with we build quite regularly and he actually sells cane corsos. And they're impeccable dogs. So at the ones that he sells, he breeds them and everything. Um so um, you know, I I did know at least one black male that's in the Chicago area that actually sells cane corsos that are just beautiful dogs and they're extremely powerful and extremely loyal and um easy to train. So I'm not a dog person either, but I thought I'd throw that out there. And um uh just to get into my workplace observations (laughs) so man this was a doozy of a day today um I had I talked previously about um my pay situation so so far it's looking good I'm still keeping an eye on every check so (laughs) if anything changes I will give you the development but it seems like monetarily everything panned out so I don't have any complaints with that at the moment but I talked previously about a black female that um that was dealing with a manager just making terroristic sexual comments about her shape and the fact that she um she's uh very petite and she can you know eat a lot of food and not gain weight and um she had made comments to her in regards to that, and she tried to escalate it to h r and essentially nothing was done because the white terrorist is the manager and she's white and it's a racist company, and they're all racist, so she didn't really get any recourse and um today she came in late. My coworker, the black female came in late because she had a problem at home. There was a leak in her sink and she had to wait for her supervisor to come to the apartment to assess the situation. And she's dealing with, you know, horrific situation with the landlord. So it took her a while to get to work. So this manager and her, her practice has been after the issue was escalated to HR, excuse me, her practice was to basically stay away from this black female um, and say as little as possible, maybe just hello and goodbye. And other than that, um my coworker made a conscious choice not to say or do anything in her vicinity or say anything to her, and she made a conscious choice to stay away from her. So today, after this situation happens in her house, the manager beelines for her after she gets here, gets to work. And she starts telling her own story of um some situation she had in her apartment, and she's just having this conversation. So my coworker is trying to keep it as short as possible so she just doesn't like the woman at all and she was cordial but she just i know i could sense that she just didn't want to be anywhere near her which i totally understood so um they had this conversation and then the woman um after she had the conversation there wasn't anything that the woman said of a question questionable nature but after the after the manager left i said to her i purposefully um stood here'cause i I do what you said, Gus, and I do this regularly. I'll have my headphones in my ears, but I don't have it on so I can hear what's going on, and I can catch anything I need to catch and deal with anything if I have to deal with it in that moment. So um, I said to her, I said, I was listening to everything that was said because I said, I know the history, we, we, you know, we dealt with it. And I said, if she did try any slick stuff, you would have had a witness here. And she just laughed and she said, thank you. I said, no problem. I just want you to understand, you know, she sits in the corner. I sit right next to her and um, anyone who has to talk to her at all would have to pass me to do so. And I would be literally an earshot of any conversation that she had. So I purposefully was listening to the conversation just to make sure the supervisor didn't say anything, you know, terroristic, that um, at least you would have me to corroborate. Yes, I was sitting there, whatever this was or whatever the case may be. So that worked out. Now, after work, and we always talk about traveling, you know, to and from work, and I bring up quite a bit the, uh, the drug and liquor habits of these uh, psychopathic mutants all the time. So I'm traveling home today. This has nothing to do with liquor, though. But sobriety would be best. Um, traveling home, train is extremely crowded, and I usually get on the last car because when I get off at Penn Station, it's the easiest way for me to get to my train to head into Jersey. So the train is extremely crowded. Um, I end up having to take my backpack off so I can fit on the train because it's just just packed with with people. And as I get to the second station after I pull away from my station, I have to step off the train to let people get off before i can get on so i step off and make room for them and then eventually i step on the train so there's this white female um who basically starts shoving me (laughs) like from behind i'm feeling this hand a small hand pushing me so i literally stopped and i just had the look of death on my face and i look at her and i said don't effing push me and i didn't yell i didn't yell i said it in a In a very calm tone, I said, don't effing push me, don't effing touch me, you be. And she made a beeline to get as far away from me as possible. So I was good. I looked around to make sure there was any issues I had to address with anyone else on the train. There were none, of course. So I went to where I needed to go to get closer to the door. So as I get there, so not many people heard, but I know the people that were in our immediate vicinity heard what I said to her. So, and she literally got as far away from me as possible. I was like, good, and don't touch me. So when I get to the other side of the train where I was actually waiting to get off, you know, to get off at my stop, there's a white man standing there. So I'm sitting there minding my business and I'm sensing that he's staring at me. Now, mind you, I'm a person who, you know, has totally transformed my life, but I used to run the street. So I I normally used to have a horrific temper and I was very quick to get physical if I felt like someone was violating or being quote-unquote, disrespectful in any way. So as I'm sensing this guy staring at me, so I look at him. And at first, I just kind of glance because I'm just sensing it. So I glance and then I just go back about my business, but I still have my headphones off. So then I'm noticing that that he's staring. So then I start staring at him and I give him the look of death. And I'm, I'm looking at him and I was not going to turn my face away from his face until he dropped his eyes. So I'm grilling him. And eventually his eyes hit the floor. So after that, he he um looks away, he looks down, then he closes his eyes, then he opens his eyes, he looks at me again. So then I grill him and it didn't take but two seconds. And then for the rest of the train ride, he leans against the door and he just keeps his eyes closed. He refuses to even look in my direction anymore. So before when we get into this uh, train station, he is getting off like I'm getting off, but the train is still packed with people. So I purposefully let him go first. And then I got off the train and then I just made sure that I kept an eye on him. He didn't pay any attention to me. He just tried to get to where he was going and that's it. And I just wanted to toss that out there because white people study us all the time. White people will try to test us in different ways, whether it's shoving you on the train, whether it's, you know, looking at you or just trying to intimidate you or anything of that nature. And I'm extremely battlefield aware when I leave my house. So, um, like I said, safety is always a number one for me, so I'm very perceptive and I keep a a stock of where I am and who's around me. So I made sure I did so, and he obviously didn't want anything once we got off the train, and I just kept going. But I just wanted to throw that out there because these are the forms of uh, psychological stress, psychological terror and agitation that these creatures try to put us through every day. And sometimes it can be harder than others to um, deal with these sort of terroristic activities. Epigenetics has made it abundantly clear that they make us sick. Um, So we have to strive for that mental health. Again, I'm not scared of any white person. I'm wary, which means I don't trust them. Um, For those that do uh, fear them, I understand it's a healthy thing. Um, It can sometimes save your life and be a very protective thing. So I get it. So there's no judgment against any other black person who doesn't function like I do. But I just want to throw that out there, black mental health, and just be aware because these people will try anything at any given time. Thank you, Nani Mala.
11: Uh, Are there people that we have not heard from at all? Uh, People that we... Oh, okay. Uh, Okay, so there are a lot of people that we have not heard from at all. So we'll try and uh, get cracking, make sure we're not missing people. Folks that have not shared at all? Can I be heard? Uh, We will nab Chantel first, and then we'll get everybody else. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am.
2: Okay. Um... So I wanted to
18: uh, share an observation. Um, This is similar to what um, another caller had mentioned in regards um, to uh, Indians with uh, them practicing with, like, the caste system. I work for a company, um, the CEO is Indian, as well as uh, the vice president. I'm the only black person that works at my job. Um, So it is very uncomfortable for me. Because I feel like it seems like they're only hiring um, white people. Um, I was tempted to even ask. Um, I wasn't sure if I should or not. But I was tempted to ask that I noticed that I'm the only black female here. Has any other candidates applying for the job? Or have any other like black candidates apply for a job? But I didn't do that. I wasn't sure if I should do that or not. Um, but other than that, that, that was something I noticed. Um, Currently my situation, we just moved into a new building. Um, We're in a temporary space for right now because above us, our new floor is being set up um, for us. Uh, Currently the space I'm in right now is very, very open. Um, The space I was in before, I was in a room with two white males. Now everybody is sharing the same space. There's no wall, there's no cubicle, everybody's sharing the same space and my area where I sit is right by the door so when everybody comes in I'm right there so if they say hi I usually don't say hi so it's very uncomfortable for me right now and I had asked my boss how long are we in this space for and he said two months so I'm currently coping with that situation um Another thing to mention is we hired a new uh, person for my department for support. Uh, He's a white male, and um, currently he's been asking me a lot of questions. He's been trying to do a lot of small talk with me. I've been trying to not um, get involved in conversation with him, Um, but I kind of need advice in terms of, and I've heard some things that people have mentioned, but in this situation, should I ignore him, or I don't know what to say to him.
11: can you uh give it to us again um just so i can make sure i'm clear like what what he's doing exactly
18: um he's just asking me like oh what are you what are your plans for this weekend and um asking me you know do you want gum and i think this is like the third time today i said no thank you i'm fine he's like you sure i'm sure it's just really annoying um in the space I was in before, I would be listening to my music and doing my work. Can't do that because my CEO is practically right behind me on the left-hand side, further behind. So everybody's in the same space. So if some, If my boss, if there was something that happened in like, with a customer or something, everybody can hear you. Um, if there's something that the boss needs to talk about, I mean, you have a conference room, but he's talking to you about it right there. Everyone can hear you. So, it's just a very unnerving situation for me, especially as a bar person, because it's like everybody's looking at me like, you know, I'm, because I usually don't talk. I usually do my work. So, everybody's like, oh, is she going to talk? Or, you know, and whatnot. Um, so, it's been very unnerving for me. Um, I don't want to come off being rude, especially with the new person. I'm helping him out, but he's doing a lot of small talk on how to go about telling him, hey, like, I was thinking about telling him, hey, you know, I'm trying to get work done, but he's going to be asking me every single time, so I don't know if I should go to my boss and do that or is that something I should just do myself.
11: I think just yourself, just letting them know, hey, you know, that's yeah. you can speak. You don't have to be this courteous, but just, hey, I have yeah. uh, a lot of assignments to work on. I just don't have time to talk right now. Um, you know, thank yeah. you for, you know, if it's high or whatever it is, but I would just make that clear. And, you know, if he has yeah. a problem with that, hey, gladly, let, call me into the office and let me know that is it is a problem to tell someone that I have a lot of assignments to do and I need to get back to my work. I don't have time to, to do small talk
18: right now.
2: Yeah, I'm just going to have to do that. Um,
18: But it's crazy because if I do that, everyone is right there. Even my CEO is right there. So everyone sees. So it's like, it puts me in a position where it's like, um, everybody's looking like, oh, does she not want to talk to him? Like, it's not like a problem. And this is the thing with the environment. It's not a problem to small talk as long as you're doing the work, but I'm someone who who don't want to small. I'm not small talking with you. I'm doing my work. I don't want to talk at all. So to them, if he's at, like talking to me and I'm ignoring him, it makes it look like something's up. It's like I'm put in a position, especially since everybody's there. It's like I'm forced to say something I don't know how to go about the situation because my feel is literally right there. Everyone can see what is going on. Like today, for example, I came into work. Um, I was annoyed about something. Um, when I was in lunch I I was talking to someone on the phones annoyed about something. Um, so I came in, I was doing my work and um he just comes off saying, Oh, I thought you were he's like, Oh, you lied. I'm like, What are you talking about? And I, I didn't understand what he was saying because I'm coming in, I'm about to do my work. What do you I understand? He's being really overly sarcastic. And I'm not I'm someone I, I can't deal with sarcasm. Especially not with white people. So he came in, he was like well, I came in, he was like, Oh, um, you know, uh, you said you lost I am like, what are you talking about? Cause I'm just coming off with this. He's like, oh, well, you said you were, you were coming in, you were um, come back to lunch at 12.30. I'm like, okay, I'm here. And he just kept going with it, and my boss noticed that, so he wasn't sure as to what was kind of going on because everyone is right there. Even my CEO's there, so he sees it. There's no privacy. So... It's like, if we were in the room, no one would have known about the situation. Now everybody knows. So it's like, it's like they're waiting to see if I crack or something. It's like really annoying. It's really annoying. So my boss came to me and asked me, like, is everything okay? It's fine. It's just, you know, I'm just coming into work. I'm just trying to do my work. Like, too much sarcasm. Too much sarcasm. It's like, just it stop. It's way too much sarcasm. Like, I'm not going to be sitting here arguing with you as to why what time I came in lunch why are you even asking me he did it then this morning oh why are you here early I can't be here early what am I, I'm a black person so I'm supposed to be coming to work late and the other white guy that was there it was just him and them there and I came off about it I mean I don't how am I supposed to react to that I don't I'm I, I have no idea how to react to that situation because he's he's actually coming at me in a very like aggressive manner, but I don't I don't know if he's being sarcastic. You know, like
13: I would Can I make a suggestion? Yes, sir. And yeah. you you were you were and i correct me if I'm wrong. You were mentioning two two cases. In that case, with that person, that person needs to get from you a prepared statement directly to him. Uh, uh about uh, uh the, the, the the behavior uh, as far as what you're, you as, as far as explaining what you come to work for and that has nothing to do with me coming to work i'm not going to have any uh, uh private conversation or conversation involving uh something other than what I am here to do, which is my the task that that are laid out for you as far as within your your uh field of employment. Period. As far as that concerned, you're going, you're going, you're going to have to not care about who is listening. Yeah. You know, I, I understand, I understand your reluct, your reluctance because of the uh, physical uh, situation that you are, are faced with. But uh, if it's not going to change anytime soon, uh, uh, you, uh, you have to deal with this situation right now, because it's only going to get worse. You know as far as far as far as from my experiences on something like this uh, uh and and speak to that person directly i I wouldn't even necessarily get get to it to where I'm gonna have a meeting with my supervisor on the issue because a lot of times the only thing that does is just escalates it in a direction that's not gonna be to your best interest, but deal directly
17: mm-hmm.
13: in a courteous but firm manner with that person that the only conversations we're gonna have is gonna to have to do with uh uh my input uh into uh performing my duties on this job and that's it.
5: Yeah. Should I
18: now my question should I be saying this well obviously. <laughs> should I be do, saying this to him like well, how how do I do this? Because I can't do it right everybody's right there, so <laughs>
11: My suggestion, my suggestion, I wouldn't have a meeting uh, with him. And even going back to kind of what Mr. Fuller said about uh, he thinks it's just going to be increasing incidents of white people just doing things to get on your nerves, uh, just to get us upset or emotional, Uh, like the caller, the male caller who shared a while back where uh, it was a white woman threatened to violently strike him on the job. And I don't think he said they had a press conference or a meeting or anything. He went, we are going to minimize contact. I think he said he changed the tone that he used in talking to that white woman to make it very clear. There's no joking. There's no nothing. And I'm going to make sure that we're never in physical proximity for you to do anything uh, to me. With that white guy, I wouldn't have a conversation. I wouldn't have a meeting. When you come in and this whoa, what are you doing here? That-? I'm just here. To, if it, I don't care what his name is. We'll just say Bob. I'm just here to work, Bob. And I would have a seat and I would the whole office so that everybody's very clear. There's not going to be a back and forth, an investigation. And it would be the same statement if he had what, but you don't normally come in. What are you doing? I'm just here to work, Bob. And go right about my, but he would be on ignore from that moment forward. And then if it's some pressing issue, I'm just here to work. I thought I made that clear. I'm just here to get my work done. I don't have a problem. I don't have a concern. I don't know why this, what this even has to do with why Bob is, you know, investigating my comings and goings. And now, if I'm supposed to report to Bob, then you all should let me know that. But if that's not my job duty, I'm just here to work. And I think if you can do that, Short, yeah. nothing to say, no conversation, and make that known for the end. I would keep in time, keep in mind too, even though your situation with the move is temporary. I think enough folks have yeah. shared white people are snooping and listening in anyway, so you should pretty much perform. Anytime you're on the job as though you are being listened to, you just got it right in your face where it's, yeah, we are all looking and listening in, but you should perform like that anyway. That would be my suggestion. It wouldn't be a conference. It wouldn't be a meeting. I would just have one sentence response and that's it. We have nothing else to say unless it's something work related.
18: Yeah. So even if there's everybody there, just that, What's wrong? Yeah,
11: I'm I'm just here to work. Okay. I'm just and that that's great. Now everybody knows. I'm just here to get my work done.
18: Now,
15: he <laughs> oh, can't. See. I don't know if he has ADHD. I don't know
11: what. He might just be so practicing I say, racism just to to uh, annoy you. Uh, And I
15: I feel like it's an underlying thing. I really do.
2: Um, There was a question. Hang on, hang on. on, Hang on one second.
11: Hang on one second. Because there was a person who had a question. The person who said they had a question.
17: Yes, I did have a question. I wanted to ask, um, how do you feel that you're treated by the actual owner and the supervisor? Um, If if I'm not mistaken, you did say they are of East Indian descent. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and how do, you, how do you feel that they treat you? Do you feel that before this guy got here, did you feel that like you had a, a functional, um, decent relationship as far as a work relationship with them, or did you feel like the caste system thing was, you know, just coming into play in that situation before this person arrived? arrived?
18: It, it had always came into play um, when, when I arrived. I mean, I just recently found out from my boss that the only reason why they hired me, because they wanted – a replacement from the other guy that was there. It wasn't more so of my skills that I can bring to the company. It was more of just a replacement. And I, I don't oh. like the idea of that because that tells me that you, you don't really want me here in terms of what I can bring to the table, if you know what I mean. So I'm just Absolutely. being a replacement, you know?
17: Yes, and they made me think because um, when when dealing, dealing with the the whole caste system mentality, this white person – now that he's injected himself into the situation that you are in, he obviously was, because they're, they're, they're like racist antennas. They like, they just, suck up that energy and they jump right in and they obviously obviously understand the dynamic of that office so now he wants to play pseudo supervisor and i think gus gave you and uh, the five final father gave you impeccable advice i would do it Mm -hmm. right there in front of everyone because he's trying to get attention and if you take it to a meeting kind of a situation what it's Mm -hmm. letting him know is that he's getting to you in a way in which he's making you feel acutely uncomfortable whereas if you just Mm -hmm. address it in that moment short to the point and you're on to the next you're not being rude, you're not being disrespectful, and everybody in that room is aware that she is not being rude, she's trying to do what we pay her to do. So there's no further explanation. They're there to bear witness to what's happening. So if he continues to harass you or he continues to 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 do things that, you know, agitate you or um uh divert your attention from doing the job then at that point you can say, well, I've talked to him two or three times. You guys, were are all standing here. I'm trying to do my job. And, he's, you know, asking me these questions as if I'm his supervisor. And like Gus said, if I'm now answering to him, please let me know. But if that's not the mm-hmm. case, I just want to do my job, you know, make it a cordial environment, a, a functional um, non-dysfunctional work environment and just go home at the end of the day and leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's impeccable advice. And the, my, my, um, uh, African Indian Trinidadian relatives, I speak to none of them. There's only one uncle that I speak to out of all of them. And the rest of them, they're all his brothers and sisters. I don't deal with them because they function with that same caste system mentality. And they are what we call Douglas, which are mixed race, African so-called mixed race, but East Indians and Africans um, together. And ultimately, I know what that feels like from a personal standpoint, and it's highly uncomfortable. So I do wish you the best. Uh,
11: hang tight, Shanny. I wanted to make sure we mm-hmm. nab some of our other people we have not heard from at all. Uh, people that have not spoken at all. You should speak now. Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
0: How you doing, uh, Gusty, and all the listeners? Proud of the show and what you're doing here. This is Ed from Alabama. I'm a first-time caller. Uh, I work at a school in uh, Alabama, really white, let's say, and there's only two black employees there. People up, and uh, I recently moved, and I asked them to leave my check at the desk, so I I didn't forward my mailing address right away, and they did that. Uh, the person in charge of that. <laughs> Sorry about that. the third that. month, she just. Okay, on the third month, she decided to mail it to the old address, and then she gave me a telephone call and said, uh, "Somebody was trying to cash my check at a pawn shop." So I uh, asked her, well, why would you send it to the old address? And she didn't answer that question. She just said, well, I'm going to uh, reissue the check and leave the desk. So I let that go. And December 9th, I sent her an email with my new address because I wanted to avoid any complications as Kawanza was coming up. And sure enough, 21st, I hadn't heard from her, so I sent an email and asked her uh, had she received my new address and the invoice with my new address on it, and she... uh, she uh, acted like she didn't understand what I was talking about, and and it once again sent my check to the old address. Even after she had to cancel it the month before, and you know it was just complications. So I asked. I, I went to the director of the school, and I gave him all the information, sent her all the emails, and the director said, "Well, I know her, and I'm sure it was just a clerical mistake, but here's the glitch." The director's only been there for four months since school started, I've been there for eight years and I don't know how she figures she knows this lady, I've been putting up with this stuff for years. Anyway, the bottom line is nobody's giving me an explanation and they think that it's like everything's okay and squashed but I'm, I'm pretty upset about it because it kind of ruined my holiday and my you know chance to do what I wanted to do with a holiday and I just got my that particular check on the 9th of January. Um, I really see the workplace racism how they try to cover each other's back this lady doesn't even know this lady I I believe she's a racist the lady who did this with my check and I'm still waiting for an explanation from the director of the school
11: that sort of pay uh, disparity thing is constant uh, where somehow the check isn't there or they've botched the address that sort of thing is common Uh, behavior uh, and then justifying it. Well, no, I'm sure she didn't do this on purpose. uh, This is, you know, just an error. I'm sure she, you know, did everything and and we'll get it resolved. Um, I would, number one, I would assume that they did that probably on purpose, uh, to mess up the holiday, I think everyone is well aware, December and people generally have plans, travel plans and purchasing and, and all of that. Uh, I, that just sounds like the type of thing that they would do uh, to just try to make difficulties for you at that time while you're trying to enjoy your holiday and get other things done in your life. Um, where, I guess where is it at now if they're saying that the check someone tried to cash it at a pawn shop, like where are they at in the resolution process now?
0: No, I, I got that check that they tried to cash at the pawn shop. This is okay. the thing. That happened a month that happened a month before. Oh, okay, okay. So the next month, figure you would figure she would know better than send the checks back to that address again, but she did it again. Did it again. So now I'm like, you know, I'm, I went to the director and told the director all these things, and she's still telling me she knows this lady, but this director's only been on, on the campus for four months. Now, here's the thing. When I first went back to work this year, I you know... A lot of our people had gotten killed over the 70s by these police. So I finally posted on social media, which I shouldn't have done. I don't usually do it. But I posted, because I'm an ex-Marine, I said, I'm tired of all this killing our men, women, and children on the street. I called for fellow Marines to take a stand, and we could take care of these punks in about five minutes. I said that on, on social media. So they called me in and told me, you know, that was a little violent. They can't have me making those type of statements. I have children who follow me on social media and you know it could jeopardize my employment there she's from the east coast she said but I want you to know that I'm going to deal with the abject racism on this campus so I figured this is an opportunity for her to deal with it
11: but she's not yeah particularly with with that, that might have just added to it. Like this, nigga, who does this nigger think he is? And on here, social media, that you, I think, you already stated you knew that was probably not the best decision to make. I would concur. I, you know, said for everyone, particularly if your <laughs> people that you work with can see your social media account or what have you, that is just a horrendous idea, uh, even if they can't, that's just a horrendous idea all the way around. You're just asking uh, to put yourself in a situation where you will be subjected to greater uh, mistreatment with that sort of commentary on social media under any circumstances. But, uh, yeah, to me, it just seems like they're doing all of this uh, deliberately to practice racism and to make things difficult for you. At this point, I would, I, I seriously doubt they're going to do anything to reprimand her. I would be more focused on... Are, are they going to be required to send you more paychecks in the future? Yeah. Okay. That's where I would be at in terms of this needs to be resolved permanently. Like I would not even be on the punishment or reprimanding her. This has happened twice. It's happened on consecutive occasions. Now this can never happen again. So what procedure or what steps are we going to take to make sure that we get this problem resolved permanently because you, I'm sure that this cannot be the case, that you all are this uh, incorrect uh, about everybody else's paychecks and having stuff just going all over the place and people trying to forge the check and what have you. So what are we going to do to make sure that this never happens again? That's where I would be at. And even maybe have your own suggestion uh, about how to resolve the situation if you can think of something that uh, you know will keep this from happening in the future.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Gusty, and uh, I'll mute my call at this point. And I really thank you for what you're doing here and keep it, keep it going.
11: Thank you. For sure. Uh, Folks have suggestions on that. Just hang tight. I want to make sure we get everybody uh, who who we have not heard from uh, other folks that we have not heard from at all. Uh, You should go ahead and speak now. If we haven't heard from you at all. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am.
4: Greetings everybody. Um, I will try to be brief, I have a couple of-
11: Sorry about that, someone was on speakerphone, I think, not you. Okay.
8: You're good, you're I'll good.
4: Switch. Okay, I just wanted to be sure, all right. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple of things, a few observations and then a couple of experiences and I will try to be concise here. Um, I am tomorrow is my last day at my job and so pretty much everyone knows now and uh, I'm contracted this is in May also 1842 out here in DC and So the way that contracting works is I just provide the service, but the companies talk to each other. Like I could, I'm supposed to be just very easily replaced. The benefit of contracting in the eyes of a company is that they do not have to deal with all of the HR kind of stuff. And if someone is sick or providing insurance and all of those kinds of things. So there's an entire etiquette to how this is done. I did my part, the professional correct way. And to, because I will say this, when you do things the correct way, whatever the correct way is for you and for whatever situation it is, you can watch how whites have to reposition themselves or try to regain some sort of power or power play or a power move or something like that. So, you know, I've, I've told them that I'm leaving, um, I've put it in writing, Thank them for the opportunity. This has been fantastic. I will make sure you know all the whole thing. So the property manager decided to reveal to me that not even reveal that. No, he decided to tell me that they don't want to continue the contract. If I'm not going to be there, that's improper and incorrect. I have nothing to do with that. And you're never supposed to talk about that kind of stuff with me. And they never have. Um, So, I didn't know what to do because my company is actually, it's owned by a white male, but most of its employees um, at the, you know, management level, HR level, and just us concierges are black and non-white, specifically black. And so my account manager is black. The president of the company is black. All the people that I deal with at my company are black. Now, I'm not, this is, you're not supposed to tell me that. And he knows that, you know? And so my initial reaction, because I didn't expect that one, was, uh, well, I'm just going to uh, let y'all handle that. Like, you know, I have nothing to do with that. So whatever. And I, but I thought about it and I was like, well, what should I do? So I actually, I slept on it and then I called my account manager and I told him and I said, you know, uh, I felt that that was improper and incorrect. And he agreed. And that I would much rather he have that conversation or if they have a meeting or whatever, be more prepared than to think that the person they brought in to interview would get the job or they would keep the contract. I felt that providing him with that information gave him a heads up and better prepared him uh, to to know that the contract was ending because he, he gets some money from that contract, too. So um, I, And I felt much better after that. Uh, And I felt that that was better. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to reveal their level of tackiness. Everyone knows that you don't do that. Um, I want to state again that I think it's very, very important to have a very clear separation between your work life and your personal life, especially if your assignment or mission is to become far more informed about racism, white supremacy, um, and to replace the system of racism, white supremacy with a system of justice. I think that any crossover, it should just be a very clear line of demarcation. So um, I have, everyone wants to know where I'm going, um, and nobody knows. Like I said, even the people who uh, think that they're very close to me. Um, I am exchanging information. I have built networks with these people, or I've been networking, and uh, perhaps I've been thinking maybe I'll just make like a professional LinkedIn, and we can maintain our professional relationship. Like there's no need for me to lose contact with all of these people who could potentially be um, helpful in the future, uh, but they don't need to know what I'm doing to do that. And so um, that's been very constructive for me. And what it has, like, because I've had to do it over and over, repetition is key, I think, as we codify our behavior. I'm new to codifying my behavior. Um, That's something that I'm learning, Like, And this experience has allowed me to do it repeatedly. Uh, no, no, thank you. I'm not going to do it. Um, And with a variety of different people, so people that I don't like or people who I do like, I still don't want to share that information. So having a variety of ways of expressing um, a particular code, which is no, or whatever it's going to be. I want to like say out there for folks who may not, um, you know, who may be new to working and stuff like that. uh, And something that I've noted for myself that whites, Notice any and all changes in behavior patterns, uh, all of it, whether you get quiet or you start talking a lot or you're happy or you're depressed or you stay away from them or you spend a lot of time, uh, whatever it is, they, um, all of it is noted by white people, but also noted by non-white, specifically black people. Now, why that's important for me um, in this situation is it allowed me to realize like one thing, the more informed I become, I feel the more potent I become, not necessarily that I can hire anyone or give anyone money, but the the higher the level of my black self-respect, um, the more clear I can be in articulating information about racism, white supremacy, the more information I have to talk to people in a variety of ways. Like, Sometimes I don't know much about sports, but sometimes knowing a little bit about sports means that I can talk to some males who may not want to talk about it. But when I uh, put them on and I'm like, did you look at it like and, you know, just or if it's uh, sex or politics or education, like being informed about racism, white supremacy and all areas of people activity makes me a more potent person to talk to other victims of racism, white supremacy, even in the workplace, because it's not so much from an impassioned emotional place, more so from an informed place with news articles and things like that that I can share with people. Um, But also, because non-white, specifically Black people, are also observing the behavior, how I respond, uh, it's like it's modeling behavior. And I've watched how other non-white Specifically, Black people have begun to emulate that behavior as well, and how they're addressing white. So, if they're around me and a white person approaches me with some type of energy I don't feel like dealing with, and I uh, in my codified response like respond to it, then when that that person is gone, I turn to the Black people and I say, "Well, yeah, you know, you see how they did that? We couldn't even have a conversation without them, you know, getting glitchy, and this is why." And da 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 da. So the next time I'm actually observing them model that behavior. So I think that you know it doesn't throw the system. Completely off balance right away, but it feels good. And in the workplace, I it, it makes me feel more um, capable of doing something, and also making me see how the system can be replaced with a system of justice like I can't sit and with a speakeasy and like tell all this information everyone's going to hear but if someone can see that I'm doing something that seems constructive and productive even like going to the gym being fit eating healthy like I'm not telling people to do that but if I'm talking about it or engaging in it and it's like evident that it's working in it and I'm you know collected I'm calm I'm able to maneuver and make moves then other people see it and it it you know changes the situation um There was a particular situation, and for me, it was just a little sad. I shared a story about uh, a Black, um, I believe he was a Secret Serviceman, but this one is a Black FedEx courier who uh, wanted to know, I'm in the red zone or hard barrier of this inauguration that's coming, so there's a lot of hoopla uh, about who can enter the building and who can exit the building and whether people can park or whether we're open and all this other kind of um, nonsense. And anyway, he's black. So he wanted to know, well, not because he's black, he wanted to know, but he is black and he wanted to know what days were open. I double checked with property management. Property management was like, look, well, you know, it's going to be really difficult to get here Thursday and Friday. So, you know, so I took that to me like, look, take it off. You don't have to come here. So I went and I told him, I was like, look, you know, we're, look, we don't know who all going to be here. So people can't sign for the packages. You can just come on Monday if you want. You know, you don't have to come deal with this because it's going to be very difficult to get cars in this area so they hear me say that to him and they come out of their office and they're like well wait a minute it's it's here you know and i'm like well i already explained this when i asked you the question but they pressure him i observed the way that they pressure him into still coming thursday and friday even though all the roads for for this building are blocked off for packages that they don't receive for companies they don't know if are actually going to be open and Just instead of letting him just say, you know what? I'm going to take the easy way. I'm going to just chill. This is going to be stressful. Because it's not just like empty roads. You're talking about roads closed to allow for there to be Thousands upon thousands of people, and he's gonna have to walk around with a cart carrying the stuff and not even, you know, like, I didn't know if he could foresee it or not, but I watched how they came and their posturing and all of that stuff. Like, so much of communication is nonverbal. Paying attention to that kind of thing is extremely important because sometimes it's not what they're saying, it's how they're saying it and how they're posturing around us that make us feel like we have to respond a certain way all the time. And I just thought that was so unfortunate. How much time have I? Okay, I've been talking for a while. If there's time later, I I have more. Oh, wait, I'll tell this one because it's the most important, Um, and then the rest of it, if I can get to it. Um, When I first began participating in the workplace racism, I shared a story about a security officer and I who were not able to get along. And uh, I had to note take, and it was, you know, I guess I was a snitch. and. of course, it didn't sit well with me and it never sat well with me. It didn't take workplace racism for me to get that. But I'm leaving, like I said, and I didn't want that to be the end of the conversation. And I had run into him a couple of times. So we had spoken a couple of times before and it's been totally cordial. Like we're both cool, both doing well and all that. Shebang. So but I contacted him and uh, apologized and acknowledged like my foolishness and my folly in that and What ended up happening is we had probably one of the most healing, opening, open conversations with each other about how we were both victimized in that situation and uh, both feeling like we had to fight each other to keep our jobs and um, what that did to us and how it made us feel and how really, because neither one of us, like we both didn't, he didn't want to be a security officer officer I didn't want to be a concierge so we were both in these like menial positions that we didn't want to be in and we're taking that frustration out on each you know on each other and we were able to have a really really good conversation and when it ended I felt so much better and I was just like that's probably the best thing I've done like that experience right there being able to you know really feel uh what what happened in that whole thing and so we're cool now and uh, I'm happy about that. So thank you all for listening.
11: Spectacular. Awesome example of black self-respect. Um, people that we have not heard from at all, you should speak now. Can I be heard? Yes,
14: sir. Good evening, Josh. Uh, good evening. Hello? We can hear you. Uh, go, go ahead, sir. Okay. Um, good evening to all the callers. Um yeah, very, very interesting stories. Um, black self-respect, of course. Um, I had a few stories of my own. Um, you know, I, I had to call off the plantation today. The I needed a mental health day. As I said, um, working at the hospital is definitely affecting my mental health because I see and deal with a lot of things um, that, you know, as a counter-racist, I don't want to see and deal with. Um, it's... it's, it's um, you know, a traumatic situation in times. Um, You know, you constantly see black people on the worst day of their life. Um, Usually when you're in the hospital, being admitted or something, it's it's not a good reason, you know. And um, you also have to deal with some of the worst black people. Um, And um, I'm starting to see how serious the mental health um, is affecting our community because there's a lot of, Black people I see that um, are definitely in need of some type of treatment. And it's um, it's heartbreaking. Um, This last couple of weeks ago, I was um, at work and I saw two black people and they looked very upset and they were walking frantic. And they were in an area that I was shocked, I worked overnight, so I was shocked that um, these two black people were in this area and they weren't employees. So, um, you know, when they saw me, they stopped me and, um, they explained to me that their daughter was just shot. She was 15 years old and they were trying to get into the ICU and they wanted me to give them access. And, um, I had to explain to them, which, you know, really, you know, killed me, but, um, you know, I'm not allowed to grant them access to that area without security, um, because, you know, um, when I went through orientation, there's been instances where people were shot, and um, the, the shooter also ended up at the hospital at the same time, and they had to keep the family separated. And So I didn't know what, what the circumstances was behind their daughter being shot. I didn't know if the, um, they blamed someone that might have been with her for her being shot, and that person's also in there. So I told, explained to them that the protocol was for them to, post-security, of course, they were very upset. Um, they felt like I was not helping them. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I was, you know, just, you know, I have a 15-year-old daughter myself, but I had to follow the rules um, or it could have potentially, um, you know, cost me my job. But um, just seeing the black people come in um, with um, serious, I guess, mental health issues and also homelessness And um, the way they're taking care of themselves and the odor, um, you know, it's just uh, really sad. And um, at a certain time, I have to clear out the emergency room so I can, um, you know, clean it up. And all of the people that's hanging out in there all strap fingers, you know, um, people that um, decided that it was probably warmer at the hospital than being outside. And um, I don't really feel comfortable calling security to kick out black people and put them back out on the cold streets. So, um, and the way the security removes them is very inhumane. So, um, I decided that i work around them and let them stay, you know, instead of, um, security security, there's still people there. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it, I'm trying to do the right thing or trying to be trying to, trying to, to show a little black self-respect, um, but you know these people will curse you out if you you know you're walking too close to them. So you also got to be careful um, because of the mental health issue that um, black people have. But um, I just um, you know if there's one person in a, the ER trying to sleep, everyone has to go in because I, I'm not just I would sacrifice a few blacks to get rid of one white. But um, other than that, um, it's just. A lot of heartfelt things I see um, and hear and deal with. Um, I can hear when people um, have passed away. And what I've noticed is um, when young black people pass away, uh, if they're young, um, immediately um, I, I, we, we get the calls to have the OR room prepared for them. Um, so, because they're about to deorganize them, um, take all of their organs and, and things to put into white people. And uh, I've also noticed that uh, when young white people uh, expire, they get sent into the OR, but it's not to take their organs. They want to take their skin. Um, and I thought that was very interesting. Um, it's just, a, you know, and I could kind of see what's going on And, and it, when I'm working in that department and um, see if someone be be skinned is not um, a pleasant sight, trust me. Uh, at my day job... Um, it's coming very stressful, and I know that um, it's coming to an end. Um, even even though I haven't been given any specific um, dates or anything, I could just tell by the attitude of the the person I work for, and um, I kind of felt this around the holiday season, as um, I was covering a lot of people. Of course, during the holiday season, um, they take their time off because some of them can't carry it over to the next year. And um, I was doing a lot of coverage, and you know, working a lot of hours. Even though I still have the night job, I'm still logging in a lot of hours at the day job, trying to cover two different people who might be out. And um, I didn't get receive even a, a holiday greeting or a, a Christmas card or a Happy New Year's card or anything from that company which I felt to be very strange and uh, also very tacky because um, I did do a lot of work for them um, that saved them a lot of money and confusion and was able to adapt and move into a lot of different positions and um, do a lot of different tasks for them. And um, I expected, you know, a well wishes, you know, card or something from them, which is usually what an employer gives you um, when you work for them. And I worked there for eight months and I just, Now, um, the person I was taking the place of, he's a young male. He was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, And coming the new year, he came back to work. And he's not able to work a full week. Uh, He's only able to work two to three days a week or half a day at a time. So I'm still needed. But um, I know, you know, it's only a matter of time. And um, in particular, yesterday, the other guy I normally work with, uh, he's a very confused brother um and he's very difficult to have a conversation with i think he does it purposely uh he's one of those um, people that like to argue and like to make big scenes and, and make everything into a big spectacle and i think he does that as uh is his need for white validation um so i've um uh, i've pointed out to him several times that um don't do that around me. You know, if, if me and you are having a discussion and, um, you, don't, just, you know, we don't agree, not interject a white person into this discussion because I don't do that. And, um, you know, he's been pretty good with not doing that with me. He understands. Um, however, the guy who came back, he interjected himself into a conversation me and the guy had. And I swear I've never seen anything like this. Um, this man stood up um, very angrily. And for what I understand, they had a very contentious relationship um, prior to me working here. Um, a friendly contentious, it's not a malicious like, argument. It's more of a friendly argument. But this other, the, the guy who's just came back, every word that comes out his mouth is nigga. Yo, my nigga, this nigger, that nigga, nigga. So it, it kind of like, wow, we're in a, open space here, and these two are going at it. And, I mean, his whole commentary, so I had stopped, like, yo, bro, man, you know, calm down. Why why you keep saying that? And then he gets to the, I don't give a F. Everybody know how my mouth is in mm-hmm. here. Ain't nobody going to say nothing. I'll go to the boss's office in the same way. And it, it was just like, wow, well, I'm going to lunch. I mean, you know, I'm out of here. And uh, another guy sitting there was like, oh, I'm with you. Um, because it was just um very very difficult to hear and um to have this black male who you know he doesn't care, obviously. Um I asked the other guy like, Did he do this before? He's like, Yep, it's just how he talks. Um, this is why he hasn't been able to move up in the company. It's, um he believes it's because of his attitude and the way he speaks, um and so freely to people and I I I to the guy um, upon coming back, that you know, man, when you use that type of language at work, I've seen people get um lose their jobs for calling people, you know, another black person nigga at work. And his thing was, I don't give a F, F that, you know, and he got loud as he said that. So I was like, okay, can't have any conversations with this guy. Um, and I'll meet mean my line. Thank you.
2: Oh my God, you think a- wow.
14: Wow. <sighs> That uh,
11: at least great bit of counter-racist codification on the job in terms of asking the other victim to not bring a racist into the dialogue when you all do not agree, that is outstanding. Uh, People that we have not heard from at all, you should speak now. Anybody that we have missed totally, uh, you should go ahead and speak now.
19: Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Greetings to you, the host. Uh, the callers and the listeners Uh, I had called in before about my experience as a real estate agent um I just I wanted to say a little bit more about that uh first thing I was going to say was um before I had mentioned um about a listing that was taken from me um by my broker uh it was actually a $330,000 listing I said uh $33,000 $33,000 listing last time I spoke, I think, but, um, she had, uh, anyway, just to make that clear, she had taken a, um, for me, it was a pretty big listing at the time. Um, but I had tried, um, once I got on my own, I tried to, um, once I opened up my own real estate company, um, and got my broker's license. I went to a lot of the different black um, organizations around the city, and you know I spoke to them. I tried to explain to them, you know to the best of my understanding, but um, some of the plans were for uh, the black part of town, and i I kept trying to get uh, different organizations, you know, different groups of black people, to purchase big plots of land um, in the black area of town. But it ended up being very difficult, and one of the things that made it difficult was the fair housing laws. I I thought that was uh, a little interesting um, because, you know, I can't discriminate. So I can't – it's really – it's a little difficult, or it's actually very difficult to get a group of black people um, together to purchase a piece of land and then be exclusive, you know, to the black people. That that was um, particularly difficult, and then um, I believe it was last year I ended up meeting um, Dr. Claude Anderson, uh, which was a pleasure uh, to meet um, to meet him. And you know I asked him what happened in Detroit uh, because he had mentioned, you know, on one of his one of his speaking engagements he was mentioning that he was trying to purchase land out in Detroit, and you know. I suppose he was buying up commercial property and then was going to turn it into a, a black business district or something along those lines. You know, I asked him, you know what what happened? Why didn't why didn't that work out? He was basically saying that I think the black people were saying that it was racist, and a number number of other people were saying that it was a, a racist act for him to get a black district. Um, I just say all that to say that um, uh, it's really really difficult to operate in this system. Um it's it's almost like trying to work on my own because working working for other people, I, I understand I'm gonna have to work for white people in some way capacity, even if I'm working on my own. But working for white people, that was horrible because they made sure I felt like I was a slave. They made sure of it. But then when I went to work on my own, you know, and I try to do all these these things that I could see would be beneficial. Uh, to the black population, there's so many laws that are in place that prevent it. And then, you know, because white people own everything in existence, you still have to go back to them to, in order to get anything accomplished anyway. So Dr. Clyde Anderson talks about um, having industries vertically integrated, which means you own every aspect of the of the industry, every aspect of the business, but it's really difficult to do almost impossible to do because once again, white people own everything in existence. They, they own the distribution companies. They own whatever, however you're going to get your, whatever, wherever you're getting your supply from, they own that. They own the land and the air. Um, and you know, and if you don't like it, then change the situation. Um, but that's what white supremacy is, is is that we haven't been able to change it thus far. Um, But I would just say one thing that uh, I've used to kind of help me get through uh, dealing with this system is uh, doing something my mother had taught me uh, when I was younger. (laughs) My mom's a psychologist, and one thing... uh, We were homeschooled and also went to, like, um, uh, a school also of our family, that our family owned, but then we went to public school. But during public school, whenever we went to public school, one thing my mom would tell us is, tell yourself that you're going to make an A. So she would make us repeat it, uh, her children, she would make us repeat it, I'm going to get an A, I'm going to get an A. And then, you know, I made A's, my siblings made A's. And then that's another thing you can... You know, use it even in your job situation um, because language is instructive. You can tell yourself, I'm going to have a constructive day. I'm going to end racism, white supremacy. I'm going to do it in a year. You know, you can say certain things and it actually come into fruition. Um, and then the last thing I was going to say was that, um, again, we don't own anything. Uh, in order to own something so in order to own land anyway you have to occupy it, you have to defend it uh, I've mentioned that before but the only uh, true way to purchase land is in blood um, and I mean whether you're marrying into um, so that your blood occupies it or whether you're removing the occupants off of the land but that's all I would say uh, thank you
11: sure we are Encroaching on uh, the end of the broadcast, uh, and we actually might uh, fail. Gus might actually fail to nab everybody who called in and might also fail to get all of the questions. That was how much participation uh, we had today. If that is the case, then we will have to make adjustments moving forward to make sure everybody has time to participate. Uh, but glad to hear we had so much robust uh, pr- uh, participation. Uh, the caller in North Carolina, were you going to share?
2: Uh, May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Thank you. This is my first time um, calling into workplace racism. Um, So I wanted to give um, something that happened to me um, back in 2013. I was working at a corporate hair salon. I was the only uh, black female. No, I'm sorry. There were three black females, including myself, uh, working at this salon along with about twelve white white uh stylists, uh the manager was white, and our clientele was about ninety percent white, maybe about I'd say five to ten percent uh non-white, so we had like Asians, East Indians, and Hispanics that were coming as well. Um so this particular day was a Saturday. I'm a little nervous. I'm sorry. But um, this particular day on Saturday, um, it, was my, it was my time to get off around 3 o'clock. And what ended up happening was um, two of the people who were supposed to close uh, the salon, which were uh, a white male and a white female, they were supposed to close. The white male um, had gotten into a car accident. I actually picked up the phone when he called. He was okay, but uh, his car had gotten totaled, and so he wasn't going to be able to come in. So the white female called in as well and said that she was not going to be able to call in because she had a migraine headache. Okay, so there was no one to close for that day, and I had already worked pretty much all day, like from, you know, 9 to 3. That was my shift to work. So nobody wanted to cover the shift and the manager manager of the farm was not there. So I said that I would close. So that was fine. Um, We tried to find someone else who wanted to close and we ended up finding another stylist who wanted to close. One of the other ladies that was there, she really didn't want to but she decided to and she also was a white female. So, just a little background. At this time, I had been working there for about six months. I uh, actually came from the same salon. Like I said, it's a corporate hair salon, but from another town. So, I had transferred in to this salon. I already knew my job. Everything was good. Um, I wasn't really having too many problems. Well, actually, I wasn't having really any problems with the manager at this time. So... Worked the entire night. Um, at the end of the night, I had asked right before I'm sorry, before the end of the night, I had asked uh, one of the stylists, the stylist who I was closing with. I had asked her. I said, "Are we?" Um, I said, "Do you get do we get paid for doing a double shift?" And she said, "No." Now, in the previous store that I worked in, we did get paid for doing double shifts. Um, so I kind of was feeling like that was an act of racism i wasn't really quite understanding that now at that time i wasn't even um, listening to the cow, so i i wasn't quite as codified as i am to this day so i said okay so when i clocked out i clocked out um administration which means when you do that you get paid extra so i clocked out that particular type of way And at the end of the night when she closed the register, she seen that I had clocked out administration. Now she is a stylist just like myself. She was not assistant manager, she was not the manager or anything like that. She said to me, she said, "Um, didn't I tell you that we did not get paid extra for clocking out? Um, And uh, I said, "Uh, yeah. And she said, well, then why did you clock out administrator? I said, well, I did because um, that's how we did it in the other store. So she started to raise her voice at me. <laughs> and she was like, well, just because, you know, uh, you did it in the store then doesn't mean you have to do it like that here and you should know that. And so we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I said, I said listen, I said, this is a real problem. I said, we can deal with the manager and tell her. You know, that should really be it. She was heated. She was extremely, extremely upset with me for so-called going behind her back and clock it in the way that I clocked in or or clock, you know, going through administration. So I said, okay. So that was at the end of the night. We closed up and I said to myself, I said, I need to make sure in the morning that I call the manager first because I know this, this stylist, This white female, she was going to call this other white female first thing in the morning, and she's going to tell her everything. Um, And that is basically what happened. The following day, um, I did not work, um, but I did call the manager. I did uh, speak with her. Uh, The other stylist had already spoken to her. I did not tell the manager everything I wanted to tell her on the phone because I decided I would do that um, the following day when I was coming into work. So I came into work, on this day, uh, there was a new white female, first time, she, at first time that she started to work there, she was already on the floor, <laughs> and um, the young lady who had the migraine, she was also on the floor, uh, working when I came in. Um, the manager asked to speak with me in the back before I set up everything. I went in the back, um, she also pulled in the other stylus that I worked with the night previous. We went into um, her her office, and she told me that um, basically after, you know, we did a little bit of talking, she told me that she was going to have to let me go due to the fact that I come into work late. I, I knew that that was total, total, you know, racism. I knew that she was doing this strictly off of Mary. Now the wife stylist, she was in the room the entire time she brought her into the room and she did not say anything. So I'm thinking uh that she was basically in the room to have the manager back in case I decided, you know, to further um to further uh go beyond them and go up to uh, the owners to talk to them about what had happened. So so, you know, that stylist was in there just for that reason. Um, But that is not the reason why um, I got fired. I got fired due to the fact that that particular stylist and her were close. And she called her and she basically made a scene about um, our confrontation. It really wasn't much of a confrontation. I did not curse at the woman. I did not um, downgrade the woman. I didn't do anything. She just didn't like the fact that I went and um, I did something that she did not want me to do. Basically, that's it. Um, so I was fired. Um, I did leave. Um, and I probably could have did more to, to have stayed, But by that time, my anxiety in dealing in that job with um, uh, basically, like I said, uh, 90% white clientele, um, about 12 the stylists. Uh, were white. There was only three black status in there, including myself, and it was just this type of environment where it was a lot of racial things going on. Um, and anxiety was, you know, I just felt like I just needed to find somewhere else to go, and that's what I did. Um, but, um, yeah, so I got fired from that job. <laughs> um, that was, uh, some, some years ago, 2013, but, um, That's just what I wanted
11: to share. Thank you. Spectacular. Well, not spectacular. Unfortunate it had to be those uh, circumstances, but I mean, that is ultra, ultra common uh, for black people who show some self-respect uh, and that I'm not going to be intimidated and that I actually can use my voice to speak yeah. up when I'm being falsely accused. You all are trying to say that I did this or did that and you know I can use my brain computer uh, to respond. Like, it's tons of uh, that, which again, just going back to what I said at the beginning, a lot of that is going to happen anyway. That's just the system of racism, white supremacy where you can do everything correct. You can stay calm, have your documentation and they still fire you. That is the system that we're in but To try to give yourself the best possible advantage. That's why, you know, we talk all the time on the program. Just document as much as you can. Stay calm so that you do not give them any additional uh, assistance uh, in the process. Uh, But those sort of things all the time, Uh, looking to make sure you don't get compensated adequately. We've had at least two or three of those incidents just on this uh, broadcast today, but that comes up all the time. We're going to make sure that you get uh, as few nickels as possible, look like you're doing anything uh, to get an extra dollar, an extra cent. Uh, We're going to fight tooth and nail to keep you from getting, I mean, that's just staying. My man called in before where they uh, are not even getting him his checks in a timely manner, sending them all over the, over the town and what have you. That's just standard operating procedure. That's why we do the programs every week and just try to come up with the best uh suggestions that we possibly can. Uh, and I'm I'm glad Dr. Claude Anderson got mentioned as well. Uh great information, but this is the same thing. Uh even, you know, if you say, well, hey, I'm going to get my own business, you're still going to have to deal with the system of white supremacy. Um I will ask uh if, Hardy
2: May I say something?
11: Else? Uh it, like can you get it in in 15 seconds?
2: Um Oh, go ahead. That's
11: okay. Thank you so much. No problem. It's just, we did our full three hours. That was what I was going to say. We did the three hours, and we still failed uh, to get everybody. We had robust participation this week. Uh, I did figure that, you know, work was getting back in. We had the holidays, so I know a lot of people were not uh, having to work as many hours uh, over the past few weeks, and that probably ended. So, uh, my apologies. We will do better uh, moving forward um, next week to make sure that we get everybody. I think we, de- I know we missed a couple people who called in who didn't get to share, and even some people who emailed as well. We'll try and compensate and get all of that uh, next week. Um, I hope it was a constructive investment uh, of your Thursday evening to be able to share. Uh, here's some information that will help us get a better understanding of things that are happening to us and things that we can do to try to neutralize some of these acts. Regardless of what happens, if you figure out something successful that works on the job, backs them up off you so that you don't get in trouble or what have you, rest assured they will be gunning for you again in the morning. So. Remain vigilant, uh, stay alert on the job, be paying attention to what they're saying, read that policy and procedure, and we'll do it again next Thursday for Workplace Racism. Same time every week, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, only on Thursdays. Uh, We will be here tomorrow. We will conclude Gwen Eiffel's The Breakthrough Politics and Race in the Age of of obama uh the book is not that long thankfully it was not one of my favorites and i think even other listeners said that they didn't enjoy it that much either but i have learned uh some things and it'll be great to wrap it all up uh tomorrow normal time 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific uh we'll be here on saturday for the compensatory call in 9 p.m Eastern 6 p.m. Pacific and then we'll also be here on Sunday this is our uh, global Sunday talk on racism white supremacy Uh, our international listeners will join us Uh, that is the early broadcast this coming Sunday so if you're watching uh, NFL playoff football then you can put it on mute and listen to the call we'll be here uh, 3 p.m. Eastern early program 3 p.m. Eastern 12 noon Pacific Uh, with that thanks everyone for tuning in sobriety would be best under conditions It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all
13: for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed.
1: I'm a victim, your brother. problem.
13: You're
17: a victim. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> <laughs>